B-F-F-T. Now, from the campus of Arizona State University, built by high-caliber millwrights, here's John Canzano with the ball-faced truth. We just keep getting farther and farther away. You know, the, the reach of this radio show keeps going to new places. Today, we are on the campus of Arizona State. I am in Desert Financial Arena where they are uh, setting up for a really interesting event. I was here for last night's UCLA-Arizona State basketball game, and I am staying through the weekend because I want to see what happens uh, in the Pac-12 conference over the weekend. We have so much to talk about. We have NFL games to talk about. We've got great guests on today's show. Bobby Hurley, the Arizona State basketball coach, is supposed to drop in with us. We'll talk to John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group. And uh, I'm going to pull the kid who I thought had the best seat at the basketball game last night as UCLA beat Arizona State by 12 here in this arena. It was rocking last night. I don't know if you watched the basketball game, but I want to talk about a bigger issue that we're all facing in sports right off the top of the show. I wrote about it today at johnconzano.com, and I want you engaged in it as well because it, are, are you aware when you are at uh, or watching a sporting event, are you aware when that sporting event is being brought to you by a television network that doesn't have its broadcast team in the building. Meaning last night on FS1, people across the country watched Arizona State give UCLA every bit of trouble. They were up by five at halftime, the Sun Devils were. There were 14,000 people that were in this arena now. I'm one of the only people now sitting in this arena. There's some people who are setting up for that event I talked about, which is a, a wild event. I'll tell you about it in a minute. But, uh, the, you know, the band was here. It was rocking last night. It was a great atmosphere. But uh, the two best seats in the house were not occupied. And I'm talking about the seats that were right on the scorer's table, right on the court. Uh, We all know when we see that broadcast team, whether it's Bill Walton or anybody else, they're sitting right there at center court in that broadcast position on the court. Those seats were empty last night because FS1's crew was not here in Tempe, Arizona, like I am. Like, look, I came to the game because it was an important game. I came to the game because I wanted to see it. I wanted to see if UCLA was any good. Arizona State's in second place, one game behind the Bruins. It was a huge game on a Thursday night, and I get why FS1 wants to broadcast it. But them not being in the arena bothers me. And maybe I'm old-fashioned. Maybe you're going to tell me that, hey, you know what, a broadcast is a broadcast in today's world with so many other, with so many live sports events being programmed. It doesn't really matter. But the play-by-play broadcaster Aaron Goldsmith and the analyst Casey Jacobson were not in Arizona. They were nowhere near this arena. They, you know, as far as I know, Jacobson was in Southern California at the Fox Broadcast Studios, and Goldsmith was at his house in Seattle in his home studio. Multiple times during the broadcast, they referred to the atmosphere inside the arena. Hey, it's great in here. Don't go anywhere. Hey, the atmosphere here is phenomenal. Uh, You know, talking about it as if they were in the building. Now, it bothers me because it's disingenuous. It also bothers me because how do you know about the atmosphere? You're not anywhere near there. You're watching a feed from the Fox studio or a feed in your house. Now, Fox has made a commitment to remote broadcasting. And people in the remote broadcast world will tell you, people in the television world will tell you, hey, there are a lot of events that are carried on live TV 
that the broadcasters are not in-house. And, in fact, baseball back in the day used to uh, use a ticker tape. And, uh, you know, a guy hitting two pieces of wood together, that's the crack of the bat, and then they would tell you what happened. But we're in an era now where, uh, of course, the Fox network and other networks like ESPN would like to very much to save money. And they are very interested in cutting corners. They're very interested in being cost-effective. And uh, part of it is travel. But I've found out, and I wrote in great depth about it today if you're interested, I found out it's more than just the travel expense that Fox is worried about. Fox has invested in the equipment for remote broadcasts. has to justify that investment. It has built studios in L.A. It has uh, more than a dozen uh, satellite trucks that are uh, outfitted to be remote satellite trucks that are traveling around the country, and these things are expensive. It's, we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars of investment from Fox. Uh, further, they don't want to have a whole bunch of broadcasters on the payroll. It's why you saw their college football broadcasters call games on a Friday and then come back and call a game on a Saturday. Or in some weekends, some broadcasters from the L.A. studio made the call on three different college football games or four different college football games. That might be a record. Somebody may have uh, broken a record this last college football season without anybody talking about it. But I want to know from you, from a consumer standpoint, it bugs me as a media member because part of it is I'm here. I'm at the arena. I could be watching it on TV, too, and pretending that I'm there, but I'm not. I'm sitting literally inside the building in Tempe. I got on a plane. I flew uh, yesterday to Arizona. I got off the plane. I came to the arena. Uh, The game, because of mountain time, it's an hour later, tipped off at 8.30 p.m., uh, mountain Time on uh, Thursday night, and, you know, I got in here just before tip-off, and boom, here comes the game. And I watch, and I, you know, asked Bobby Hurley a question in the post-game news conference. The broadcasters did not. The broadcasters had a Zoom call with both head coaches before the game. The broadcasters weren't in the building. They were watching a feed of the broadcast. As a consumer, does this bother you? Does it bother you because, hey, it's it's uh, not an investment in the product does it bother you because hey they're probably not going to do this with the sec or the big ten does it bother you uh, at all or are you among those who say look we don't even need broadcasters i don't know why the broadcasters have to be there in the first place i kind of want to know where you stand on all this i want to know what you think of all this uh... the phone number is five oh three four one seven seventy five seventy five you tell me you weigh in you tell me does this bother you uh, in in the way that it bothers me, or how do you view this? Do you need the broadcaster to be there, or do you need the broadcaster to be transparent? If they're in studio and they're sitting in L.A. and the game is taking place in Eugene, Oregon, or Corvallis, Oregon, or Tempe, Arizona, or Tucson, Arizona, or in the Bay Area, and they're still in L.A. or they're at their house, do you want that transparency? Because there's a there's a line here that where as a journalist I go, hey man, you should not. You should not be pretending that you're at a game that you're not at and and telling the audience, the atmosphere here is fantastic. And I get it. Some of that is muscle memory. Broadcasters will tell you they just say stuff like that, even if they're doing a remote broadcast, because they so frequently did it when uh, they were doing a broadcast that is live. But I want to know where you stand on that. 503-417-7575 is the number. we got a great show today. I mentioned we're going to get some big guests uh, we're going to talk to John Wilner. We're going to talk to uh, Bobby Hurley. We're going to talk with um, a student broadcaster who was at the game last night 
and got to sit in the seat that should have been occupied by the FS1 broadcast crew. They put the student radio station front and center. Doug Tamaro, who is the uh, associate AD here at Arizona State, did a good thing. He said, hey, these guys are here all the time. They're students. They come to every shoot-around. They come to every practice. I'm going to reward them, and I'm going to stick them front and center on press row in the seats that should have been occupied by uh, FS1, the broadcast partner for the game. It bothers me. I don't know. Maybe I'm old-fashioned. Maybe I'm on my lawn right now yelling, but I think you lose something when you're not in-house, and I think you're misleading the viewer when you are not telling them, hey, this is a remote broadcast. Maybe that should be said at the beginning of every remote broadcast. I don't know. There's a certain level of transparency. Uh, and then, uh, on the other hand, I also have friends who go, hey, I don't really care that much. Um, and uh, and uh, in the end, uh, I want to know where you stand on that. Uh, Stephen, help me out here. Where do you stand on the idea of remote broadcasts? And uh, I want Peter's take as well. And let's not be afraid to disagree here because part of it is I wonder if it's me, the journalist, who is going, hey, man, if you're not in the building, ethically you shouldn't be saying you're in the building. Yeah, I think it is pretty lame when uh, the announcers aren't at the arena and not on, you know, not at the location. It, it happened with the Blazers at the start of the year. They weren't going to send out their broadcast teams, and there was huge backlash, and I was part of it. Like, I, I did not like it. Um, just, you know, just knowing some of the broadcasters, like, they don't like it. And it does take away something. Like, I love um, Aaron Goldsmith. Like, I think he's a great announcer. Yeah. I think he's really good. But every time there was a big play, whether it was a big dunk or a big three, it, there, it was a tick late. Everything he was saying on the broadcast, him and Casey Jackson both, it was a tick late. And, like, to me, it bothers me because you can tell that they're not there. They're not getting the emotion of the arena because the arena sound was great on the broadcast. It was great. You said it was, it was rocking. It was, it was rocking. Great I can tell you. Record, yeah. record setting yeah. for the students. The record yeah. setting crowd for the students, like it would have been so much better had they been there. And I like I can tell. I don't know if other people can tell, but I can tell when they're not there. And I do agree with you. I think they should let people know. And sometimes they do. Sometimes they show it on ESPN where um you know they show the guys at their home studios. But I, I think it's pretty lame that they don't have it, especially for a big game like this. You know, Arizona State is a team that's on the bubble looking to try to get in. UCLA, one of the better teams. I, I just think it's you know, it it's a it's a minor league move. When you're trying to be big time college basketball, big time, uh, big time broadcaster, Peter, you agree with that? You got a different take? Yeah, I I agree 100. Uh, it was a big thing when the Trailblazers tried to do this a few months ago, and we sort of held them, uh, held their feet to the fire for a good week until they reversed course. You could just once you uh, you learn, even just as a fan, once you learn that this is a thing that sports entities do. You can tell when it's happening. It's unfair to the broadcaster. It's unfair to the fan. It's unfair to everybody. I mean, just put out the good product, please. Yeah, and I think, too, it it just, like, if you're the Pac-12, and I think the reason why people in the Pac-12 footprint want to talk about this maybe more than others is, let's be real, let's talk about the elephant in the room. The Pac-12, I think, feels like it has, I think it has an inferiority complex. Let's just say it. And I think it looks over at the Big Ten, it looks over at the SEC, and it goes, hey, this would never happen in those places. Why is this happening? Why is this happening in, in our neighborhood? And and I think, you know, broadcasters will tell you it happens in soccer. It happens in baseball. It probably happens more frequently than we all know it. I want to be fair to the broadcasters, but I don't like it. And if we are just going to let broadcasters call what they see on a monitor, 
uh, and they see what you see in your living room, what's the point of that? Because I can tell you from being in the building last night, there was a lot going on that wasn't on television. I don't know if they showed Kenny Dillingham. He was in the arena. He was sitting in the aisle of the arena talking with high school football players who play for local you know, high schools in the Phoenix area. He's recruiting. You know, it, and I don't know if they showed the, the you know, the curtain of doom uh, behind the free throw line. I don't know if they, you know, there was no reference to a lot of things that were going on in the building that were away from what was being shown on the screen on TV. And I think something is lost. And if we don't acknowledge that, I don't think we're being real. And I think part of my job and part of the job of media in general is to discern what is entertainment and what is journalism. And I think... You know, we are veering heavily into entertainment when the broadcasters are pretending or or maybe just not saying that they are at home uh, when they should be inside the arena. I want your calls on this. I want your takes on this. Does it bother you at all? Can you tell when the broadcast is not in the building? Does it bother you on a college football Saturday to see FS1 have a broadcaster like Petros Papadakis call, you know, on a Friday night game? He's calling Boise State, and Saturday he's at San Diego State in the morning. And I'm going, wait a minute. I know he didn't prep for both of those games and fly to both of those cities. FS1 has got poor Petro sitting in a studio somewhere, probably, doing two and three and four games on a weekend. Do you notice it? You know, I was told by some of the TV people, I don't think the viewers notice it. I think they're wrong. 503-417-7575. Watch your calls. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Broadcasting today from Arizona State's campus, uh, I am inside the uh, Desert Financial Arena, right uh, in the shadow of uh, the football stadium right outside. Uh, Beautiful sunny day here in the Tempe area. I I am here because I was at last night's UCLA-Arizona State basketball game, and that's what we've been talking about on today's show. And more importantly, broadcasting. Does it matter to you when the broadcast crew is not in the building do you feel misled or is it just entertainment 503-417-7575 what do you prefer on your television only you can answer this question i want your take let's go to the phone lines sam is in vancouver sam welcome to the show uh what do you think hey man i think it is um a little bit of disrespect the one thing that has been really kind of on my mind since reading your article this morning was um if Arizona State was at UCLA, would the Fox broadcasters go to the game there? Now, I understand the price and everything is substantially lower, but I think that a lot of Pac-12 fans can agree that if you're not in the L.A., we don't care really much about you. Um, so I think to only make it, I guess, fair if they're going to only choose to do remote things. Because last night's game, I was just looking – was between two of the top in the conference, those guys should have been there. But if it was Arizona State at UCLA, would those guys go there? And I think to only make it fair was to have them remote broadcast the games, even if they're in L.A., have them remotely broadcast those too. Because as a Pac-12 fan, that just seems like Fox just doesn't care. And with people not caring, the rest of the country sees that. And us people on the West Coast are kind of – left it left kind of in the dark so i yeah. think 
I I I understand the remote thing, but you got to make it so that if it's at in in LA, that you got to remote broadcast even if the games are in LA. Yeah, look, I think part of it is Adam Goldsmith, one of the the play by play broadcaster in last night's UCLA Arizona State game. He lives in Seattle. He is one of a few Fox broadcasters who has a home studio. Now I'm told he sometimes goes to LA to call games, but I kind of think he was in Seattle last night. Uh, broadcasting that game. So I don't think it would have mattered had he been in L.A. And part of the reason why they've gone to remote broadcasting, it's not just airfare in a hotel. We all go there. I'm told they're also trying to just keep the number of broadcasters they have on the payroll to a minimum. So they have to hire more broadcasters if they're going to send people out because they need more broadcasters. Let's go to the lines. 503-417-7575. John is in Klamath Falls. John, welcome. Hey, good afternoon, sir. Uh, I have an idea. Uh, you can tell when they're not broadcasting live. Um, but if they're not going to send people out to these games, why don't they just mic up the home the home court, home field announcer there at the mm. stadium? I mean, yep. at least then you're still hearing the roar of the crowd a little better. You you, you know that guy could do filling in and let you know what the atmosphere is atmosphere is like more better than someone sitting on the couch or a lazy boy trying to call a game. Yeah, there is something you get from being in the building. Like, you know, you get the the hair on the back of your neck, so to speak, that'll stand up at a big moment. I had a media member to my right who turned to me, had not been to an Arizona State game either. I had not been to a game in this building. I'm in it now broadcasting, and it's a big building. It's an older building. It's like 50 years old. But it reminds me of Mackey Arena uh, on the campus of Purdue. It has sort of a circular feel to it, uh, very, uh, you know, very arena-like in that the lower-level seats are right on the edge of the court. I mean, it's really kind of a cool older space. And I know they want a new building here, but he turned to me and he said, I did not expect this atmosphere. And they set a record for student tickets last night. They had more than 5,000 students who bought tickets. And Arizona State was one game out of first place, so that's part of it. I mean, Arizona State's fighting for relevancy and fighting for a place on top of the conference. This is Bobby Hurley, who has two NCAA tournament appearances, 2018-2019, probably would have made 2020, would have made three in a row for the first time since the 1960s when they made uh, multiple appearances. I think they made four in the 60s. But uh, this is a program that kind of was headed in the right direction, and then just in the last couple years, there's just been questions about whether or not Arizona State, uh, you know, Hurley's going to survive at Arizona State. Now, I think he's answered those questions. He has navigated the transfer portal well. Four of his five starting players were transfers. His best players are both two transfers. Uh, he has a good young player, a guard that he brought in, you know, late in the game, played significant minutes, who is a, is a freshman. But he's, you know, he's adapted. But while all that is going on, the uh, you know the uh, the broadcast team at FS1 is sitting in Seattle and in and in LA and it, I don't know it bothers me and part of it may just be that uh, you know I'm aware of where the Pac-12 sits in sort of the hierarchy of college athletics it's not the SEC where it means more it's not the Big Ten that has a billion dollar TV contract it's not that right now but when when the broadcast crew sends a remote broadcast or puts a remote broadcast in play for a game, it uh, it speaks to the rest of the country, too, that, hey, this property isn't as important to us. Now, that may happen in the Big Ten. 
It may happen in the SEC, but when it happens in the Pac-12, I think everybody's a little more sensitive to it. And maybe, just maybe, part of it is us. But there's part of me that I would never pretend to be at a sporting event that I wasn't at. I wouldn't mislead the reader or the listener. And I feel like television is doing this in the name of entertainment. And they're passing it off saying, oh, it's just entertainment. Nobody's going to notice. What's the big deal? Fox is saving some money. Well, I can tell you the big deal is it's not authentic. It's not candid. Uh, they're misleading you. And maybe they need to put it uh, on the beginning of the broadcast, show the guy in his living room, show the other guy in the studio in L.A., and let him go, hey, you know, we're not really at the game, but, man, we're along for the ride. And, you know, it, it, that already happens. It's called the Manning cast. Like, the, you know, they're already doing a broadcast where we know they're not in the stadium. It's a Manning cast. So what are we doing here? It's just a Manning cast, but we're not really saying it is? Like, give me a break. Uh, coming up, uh, we will talk to the student broadcaster who got to sit in the empty seats for FS1. I want to ask him about what it's what it's like to be a student broadcaster in the Pac-12 and get some insight into the other teams that they have seen in the course of doing business. I also think uh, we're going to get a visit from Bobby Hurley later in the show. Um, I think uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting and uh, fun conversation with Hurley. John Wilner coming up later in the show as well. Pac-12 has fired a couple of executives. Oh, we'll dive deeper on that. Hangover from the Larry Scott era, apparently. But let's go to Tom, who's in Ocean Shores, Washington. Tom, what's up? Hey, John. Hey, I love the show. There's one thing everybody seems to be forgetting about this. It's if you have remote broadcasters and they're like doing it through like a TV feed or whatever the case may be, they're going to have at least minimum probably eight-second delay. I work at a radio station here. We have what we call a dump station, and I'm de- uh, the, the, we're all delayed by eight seconds, so we can always hit a button and uh, sure. make it go back eight seconds in time. And I've noticed that, like with NFL games and stuff, I can be listening to the game on the radio, walk into the house, and the wife's watching it on TV, and I already knew the play before the play even happened because it was already done. Yeah. I, I, here's the other thing. Like, I, I've thought about it from, you know, we've all been in that situation where we're streaming a game and there's a delay. I don't know if there's a more frustrating thing for me than when I'm, like, on an NFL game and I get a little glitch with a commercial or I get a pause and I know I'm a couple seconds behind. And I'm made aware of it on Twitter. But I don't know how far behind that broadcast was last night. I, but I can tell you this, they weren't giving you anything that you couldn't already see on the monitor. And I think that's a real disservice. All right, we're going to come, coming up, we're going to talk about a couple of firings in the Pac 12 conference, plus a student broadcaster who got to sit center court front row last night uh, to see UCLA up close. We'll get a glimpse into the life of uh, a student at Arizona State, a student journalist, next. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750, the game. Well, I am uh, in Arizona, in sunny Arizona. People here think it's cold. It's not. It's like 60 degrees. I'm at Desert Financial Arena on Arizona State's campus. I was here last night. For UCLA, Arizona State, I'm going to stick around and watch Arizona State play USC uh, tomorrow night here in this arena. And uh, 
Our next guest is a terrific broadcaster himself, but he's a young broadcaster. He's a college kid working at a college radio station, uh, one of the best stations, if not the best station in the country, according to uh, those who pay attention to such things. But Dominic Stern and his broadcast partner last night arrived at this very arena and were informed, hey, the FS1 broadcast crew isn't coming. So Doug Tamaro, the the associate athletic director at Arizona State, did what a decent human being would do. He said, hey, Dominic and his partner have been here all the time. They go to shoot around. They're present. I'm going to reward them. And so he stuck them front and center on the court, toes on the court, in that seat that you always get to see on television. The student broadcasters were there. I wrote about it today. And Dominic Stern from Blaze Radio on the Arizona State campus is joining us now. How are you? I'm doing great, John. Thank you for having me on. You bet. When did you know? When did you find out you were going to be sitting in those prime seats? So we found out on Tuesday when uh, Fox Sports basically reached out and told uh, Doug that they wouldn't be there at the broadcast. And this is the second time this season that they've broadcasted remotely from Desert Financial Arena. Uh, The first time was actually in the Territorial Cup, and Ryan Sikora and Ben Paris got the broadcast from those same seats. Uh, Kevin Malater and I, uh, my partner last night, we – we were thrilled. We found out on Tuesday, and that uh, that just added to the excitement for us to be broadcasting that massive game last night. I kept looking down at you guys because those seats are, you know, you can see a lot more. You can you can uh, hear the squeak of the sneakers. You can hear what's being said on the court. And, of course, of course with uh, Coach Bobby Hurley out there, you're hearing a lot of stuff. But give us what you get down there versus maybe what you get in your normal seat that is kind of at the top middle of the arena uh, you know, a little bit further away. Yeah, you mentioned it. You can see players saying things to, to their teammates. David Singleton, after he banked in that three late in the shot clock in the first half, had this massive smile on his face, and I pointed that out on the broadcast because he knows he, he shouldn't have made that shot, and that was a massive three that, I mean, you're looking at it, UCLA, of course, pulled away at the end of the game, but if they don't have those extra three points, and, of course, uh, the half-court he from Des- Desmond Cambridge kind of made up for it. Who-, who knows what those last couple of minutes in the game looked like? So it's those little things that the broadcast crew should be able to see, but they aren't able to if they're not there. And we were very gracious and uh, very thankful that Doug Tamara uh, rewarded us by putting us down there. Yeah, look, I think it was a great opportunity for you guys. It makes me sad that FS1 is not doing – big games in person and you're telling me that arizona arizona state game the uh you know was a remote broadcast last night was a huge game remote broadcast i know you grew up in the san diego area area i know that your dream is probably to be a baseball play-by-play broadcaster one day we do some research um but you know you're 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 at the cronkite school of journalism at arizona state you're a senior there you know, what are they talk? Are they talking about any of this stuff in your classes, or are you guys debating? Like, you know, what is where's this industry headed? Yeah, I mean, we we we've talked about it in our inner circles there at Cronkite, and it, it is sad. You know, they uh, they tell us to seek the truth and report it here at the Cronkite School, and it's kind of hard to be able to really seek the truth if you're not there. And they did their due diligences and uh, the broadcasters, but. It, there are details that are left out if you're not actually there. I mean, you have to be there, and there, we know like there are details that we're missing even when we're 
when we're up top uh, in the media section where we normally are broadcasting our games. So the fact that Kevin and I were able to get down low and be courtside last night, just it, it enhanced our broadcast. It really did. I love that you talked about kind of the smile on uh, the kid's face when he banked the shot in because there's no way that ball should have gone in or he should not have been celebrating after it did. And then uh, you, you're also down there as you can hear, you know, the officials as they come over to the scorer's table. There's just so many little things that I think if you're working on a monitor from your house or from a studio in L.A. that you're not going to pick up. Uh, do you have other examples of things that you heard and saw last night on Press Row? Uh, nothing that I've, well, actually, you, you talked about it. Kenny Dillingham, he was there last night. He actually walked right behind our table, so we saw him there. Uh, we mentioned it on the broadcast. It was a big recruiting opportunity. Uh, Trent Borgay, ASU quarterback from last season, he was sitting front row behind one of the hoops on the far side away from the student section. So there were some things that I noticed that, I mean, even if I was just sitting up top, like, I, 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 I would have noticed it because I was in the building. I, I was there, and not only that, I was courtside, so I was able to notice even a couple more things. Dominic Stern is our guest. Uh, he is a broadcaster on Arizona State's Blaze Radio. Uh, no, it was noted as the best college radio station in the country. Uh, give us an idea. You, you got a chance to see some of the Pac-12 so far. Is UCLA that far in front of everyone in your mind, Dominic, or are they vulnerable as well? I mean, they're, at the end of the day, they're college players still. They're obviously really good college players. So they are the best team in the Pac-12. I think they've definitely separated themselves from Arizona State. We saw that last night when the game mattered most. Their players made plays. ASU's players did not. And we'll get to see them go up against Arizona on Saturday, who's probably the second-best team. That's certainly what the analytics say and what, uh, what all the polls have said. But... They, they have that true point guard, Tiger Campbell, and they have that closer, Jaime Hawkins. They are legit. I actually had one of my friends ask me leading up to the game if I could pick a national champion today, who would it be? And I told him the Bruins, and they kind of validated that because two of its best players, Jalen Clark and Jaime Hawkins, were quite frankly bad offensively, and they were still able to come away in a ruckus atmosphere on the road with a 12-point victory. I mean, your average team just does not pull that off. Yeah, and I thought, like, the interesting thing last night was sort of watching, uh, you know, when their best player, UCLA's best player has a bad game, what happens to the rest of the team? Now, I think Arizona State's length gave UCLA some problems, particularly in the first half, but late in the game, it was a 9-0 run to finish to win by 12. It really wasn't, you know, I think Bobby Hurley said it after the game. He said, we didn't really lose by 12. I agree with him. I don't think that was an excuse. Like, that was more of a two- to four-point game that kind of got away from them at the end there. But um, it to me, it was the experience of UCLA down the stretch. Can, can Arizona State rebound? Do you worry at all about Saturday night's performance, you know, a hangover from losing that kind of game and playing a very good USC team? Well, yeah, you mentioned it. USC is very good, and... These guys, they're, they're athletes. They, they know they got to have a short-term memory. Whether you win or you lose, you have to take what you learn from it, either in the victory or the loss, and adapt. And USC is a totally different team. They don't have as many like key playmakers. Boogie Ellis is really good. Drew Peterson's really good. But uh, if you're Arizona State, you got to like your chances. You're not going to get as good of an atmosphere from your home crowd uh, tomorrow night. But USC playing against... An up-tempo team like Arizona, that's a tough team 
to then turn around two nights later and then play against another team that plays at a fast pace like the Sun Devils do. So I, I like ASU's chances tomorrow night against the Trojans. It's a big game for both teams because ASU, as good of a season as they've had, they're not a sure tournament team at this point. A win against USC is going to go a long way, currently a quad two win. But if you lose that game, there's not a whole lot of resume boosters left in the Pac-12. So it's a big game for both sides. And for USC, if you're trying to make a late tournament push or a late push to make the tournament at the end of this regular season, this is a crucial game on the road for them. Dominic, uh, you got a chance to see Oregon eight days ago. Uh, you know, Arizona State wins that game by 17. Uh, give me an idea of what you think is plaguing Oregon. What you know, Because this program under Dana Altman has been fantastic and consistent, and suddenly they're not. Yeah, they, they don't have as many playmakers as they've had in the past. And Folly Dante is a great player down low. And Will Richardson is a great guard, but they don't have as many playmakers, guys that can set up the plays like Peyton Pritchard, Dylan Brooks, those guys in the past when those Oregon teams were at its best. And Dana Allman's one of the best coaches in the country, so you can't really count out the Oregon Ducks. And we actually sent one of our broadcasters, Peyton Gallagher, up to Oregon to go call both those games at Oregon and at Oregon State. Uh, he, he raved about the experience up there. And I, I wouldn't count out the Ducks. They can get hot. Uh, in the last month and a half and then go into Vegas with some steam. And the Pac-12's not that deep. I mean, if Oregon jumps into that top four seed, they only have to win three games in the Pac-12 tournament all of a sudden. They could be a tournament team. And we saw a couple years ago when they got in as that 12 seed, you don't want to face the Ducks in March. Yeah, I think uh, that tournament's going to be wild. Uh, Dominic Stern is our guest, Blaze Radio, Arizona State uh, student radio station. Um, look, Early in my career, I got a chance to cover Bobby Knight as a beat reporter. It was a fantastic experience for me. I learned a lot. You're getting a chance to cover Bobby Hurley. Uh, I was in that postgame news conference last night. There's some tense moments. Um, I hope you're aware of how much better he's going to make you because that is it's not an easy beat, and he can be intense and direct. Yeah, Bobby, it, it, it's fun covering uh, his teams because he's one of the sport's greatest players. I mean, he was a focal point of building up Duke's uh, program, and he's very candid with us. Uh, Arizona State is very welcoming to its student media, as we've kind of discussed uh, with Doug Tamara. He's honest with us, but the coaches aren't afraid to hold us accountable if they think there's a bad question. So uh, all of us at the student media, we, uh, we truly appreciate Bobby Hurley. Yeah, I think one of the students last night asked him about hero ball. He didn't like that last last night, late late no. in the uh, in the news conference. I appreciated that. So, uh, look. Uh, so you're telling me that Blaze Radio, Arizona State student radio station, sent broadcasters up to the state of Oregon to cover the Arizona State trip to Oregon and Oregon State, but FS1 did not send a broadcaster to UCLA, Arizona State in person. Uh, that that I I didn't really thought of it like that, but yeah, we. We're, we traveled for the entire football season. Uh, our, our sports station director, Mallory Schnell, has done a great job. Uh, other sports directors, uh, assistant sports directors like myself, Kevin Malater, who was on the call with me last night, Ryan Sakura, Walker Smith, we're, we're always communicating about ways that we can get opportunities for our broadcasters to do games. And it, it is sad to see that Fox Sports 1 maybe isn't as invested in getting as good of a product for its fans because – you guys were also talking about it before I hopped on here. There was a very clear delay 
in the broadcast when you're watching the game. And I went back because I like to listen to the professional broadcasters and what they say, and I can learn stuff from what they're saying if I like it or what to not say if I don't like it. But you could very clearly tell there was a delay because they weren't there. Look, I I, uh, appreciate your time, your expertise. I think seeing it through your eyes, Dominic, is fantastic. Uh, Keep doing what you're doing. You and your partner on the call last night were great. It was fun to see you guys smiling and having a good time, uh, you know, in in what was a big environment in a big game. And uh, uh, if we can ever be of help to you, you know where to find us. But thank you for joining us and giving us some insight. And before I let you go, though, i got to ask you, you a Chargers fan now? Are you still a Chargers fan, San Diego kid? No, absolutely not. I despise You're done. them. I despise no. <laughs> so watching them blow that twenty-seven nothing lead, uh, my girlfriend and my roommate, we were watching some TV, but I had the game on my computer and it was twenty-seven nothing. They told me to turn it off. I said, "No, they're going to blow it." That's exactly <laughs> what they did. It was a classic Chargers moment. So, are, were you a, were you ever a Chargers fan, or is it because they left? Now you're no longer, or where where do you stand on that? Yeah, they left. Yeah, I couldn't support them when they when they left our city. Love it. Dominic, keep up the fight. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Appreciate you for having me on. There's Dominic Stern from Blaze Radio, Arizona State Student Radio. The Chargers are dead to him. I don't blame him. I don't blame people in Oakland if they don't like the Raiders anymore. You know, I'm sure when the uh, Giants left uh, – Left New York and went to San Francisco. There were people uh, who said, I'm done with them. Well, I've been asked uh, that about the Blazers. Like, if the Blazers would ever move, if I could be a fan, it's like, no. There's no, no. way I could be a fan. I don't think Sonics fans are uh, have turned into Oklahoma City Thunder fans. Do you? No, I don't think so. Amen to that. Our big splash coming up. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. One time, uh, years ago, I was covering uh, Indiana basketball. Bobby Knight was the coach in a, in a post-game news conference. I was very young in my career. So, like, my third newspaper. I was probably, like, 28 years old. But one of the students covering <laughs> covering the team asked Knight a dumb question. And whenever anybody asked Knight a dumb question, you just, everybody kind of went, oh, there was just an exhale in the room. The student, uh, Knight had just finished saying, you know, the guys are not getting what I'm putting in practice, and they're not transferring it to games. And the student must not have been paying attention when Knight was saying that because the very next question the student said, Coach, are you getting transfer from practice to games? And the whole room went, Ooh, here it comes. And Knight just lit him up. Are you not listening? Why are we doing these news conferences if you're not listening to what the person in front of the microphone is saying? So last night, Bobby Hurley, in the Arizona State uh, postgame news conference, was uh, talking about how tough his team had been and how much they had played. And by the way, I'm broadcasting from inside Desert Financial Arena here at Arizona State, and gymnastics team is on the mat right now warming up. So that's the... PA announcer you heard in the background there, and you're going to probably hear that at points during the broadcast as they are getting ready for a gymnastics match on one end of the basketball court, and on the other end they're going to have a wrestling match. 
It's called Beauty and the Beast. I think they're trying to get people to come to gymnastics and wrestling matches by putting them side by side and passing it off as Beauty and the Beast, which is which. Um, but I think uh, uh, Hurley last night, the, you know, he was talking about how close a game it was, and then the student print reporter, I think, asked him a question about, hey, you know, it was going really well until at the end there your guys started playing hero ball. Now, Stephen, Peter, explain to the listeners what hero ball is. Hero ball, it's, uh, you know, when you got – you play basically no offense. We've seen the Blazers do this a lot. They uh, they don't pass the ball around, and it's a lot of one-on-one. Uh, you know, team basketball would be, you know, set a pick, uh, you know, do those type of things, move around without the basketball. Hero ball is four guys stand around the perimeter usually, then one guy has the basketball and just dribbles the air out of it and then uh, takes a contested jump shot. So hero ball was not what was happening late in the game. They got some bad – they took some bad shots. And I think Arizona, Arizona State ran into a team that knows how to play defense in the final two, three minutes of the game, knows how to close. And so it – Hurley, when that question was asked, just said, muttered about hero ball. He said, that wasn't hero ball. I'm not going to even talk about hero ball. And I thought, that's a good education for that reporter. It's not a great question to be uh, – plus it sort of introduces – and this is the kind of question – I hate two kinds of que- – three kinds of questions I hate in a news conference. There's three questions I, you will never find me asking, or if you do, I'm going to hate myself for doing it. One is the talk about question. Coach, can you talk about this? Coach, can you talk about your defense? That's not a question. You're saying to the person, talk about it. Second question that I don't like is the question that is asked by the person who's trying to tell everybody in the room how smart they are. I recognize that it was hero ball, and nobody else did. And, Coach, how do you feel about that being hero ball? Or it was 14 or 13 or 12 personnel, and it was the A gap, and you got a reporter trying to impress the coach on what they know. You should not ask those things. Sometimes the best question in a news conference is, how so? That's a great question. Coaches just finished saying something. Like, I asked Hurley last night, how do you take the leap from, you know, almost contending with UCLA into actually beating a team like UCLA between now and the Pac-12 tournament? And uh, he goes into a thoughtful answer. And then my follow-up to that is going to be, well, how so? Because I want him to expand on it. Like, you got that clip? I want to hear it. I want to hear the Hurley clip talking to the reporter in the post-game news conference last night. He was not happy. His body language is bad. Yeah, I'm not going to start talking about that. Like, I mean, let's stop with, you know, hero ball, okay? I, like, seriously. Like, we we played, a, you know, a one of the best teams in the country tonight, okay? And and they stepped their defense up. And, and uh and, and, and again, I, I talked about maybe two minutes ago, if you weren't listening, that, you know, if, if you drive and, and draw defense and, and there's an open player and you don't find that guy and, and you know, a team like UCLA is, is going gonna, is gonna to make you pay for that because they're really good on defense and they win a lot of games. There he is. I love the if you weren't listening two minutes ago. (laughs) And the kid was right next to me. And I could just feel his discomfort. But I thought, you know what? This is a university setting. Arizona State's got the Cronkite School of Journalism. Uh, It's one of the best journalism programs in the country. Uh, And I didn't go there. I wish I I could have gone there. Uh, But this kid got 
Bobby Hurley to give him a little education. Like, I thought it was a really, it was a teachable moment for everyone in the room. Don't ask a stupid question. Nobody cares what you saw, okay? And I don't mean that with disrespect to the reporter. It's just like, you know, you kind of got, you got what you deserved there. It's very fair. I think he's very fair. I think he's tough, but he's fair. Knight was the same way. If you ask a dumb question, look out. But Knight could be petty, too. Ashley Judd came into a post-game news conference in December of 1998. I'm I'm covering the team, and Kentucky's playing Indiana, and uh, Ashley Judd had a press credential because Tubby, uh, Tubby Smith, the coach of Kentucky, was friends with her, and she's a big Kentucky fan. And everybody knows she's an actress. Bobby Knight better than anybody knew that Ashley Judd was an actress. So here comes Ashley Judd, and she comes into the post-game news conference at Rupp Arena, and Bobby Knight had lost an overtime game against Kentucky that season. So I all the factors, it was a perfect storm. And when I saw her come into the post-game news conference, I went, no, 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 Ashley, no, no. This is not going to go well for you. And she sits in the front row, and Bob Knight comes in, and he gets on the podium, and he normally starts his news conference by going, anybody got a question? No statement. Anybody got a question? But he's lost a game. He's disappointed. He can be difficult to deal with. He looks up. He sees Ashley Judd, and he says, what the hell is this? Some kind of bleepity bleep CIA movie? (laughs) What are we doing here? And she just melted. I felt so bad for her. She did not deserve that. He could be petty. All right, John Wilner, Bay Area News Group's coming up. The Pac-12's got a Larry Scott hangover. We're going to find out more about it. Wilner had the news today. Pac-12's fired two executives. Who are they? Why did they get fired? All of that coming up next. you got the BFT statewide. B-F-F-T. Now, from the campus of Arizona State University, built by high-caliber millwrights, here's John Canzano with a bomb-faced truth. I'm broadcasting from inside Desert Financial Arena here on the Arizona State campus. We're talking a lot about the Pac-12 in Hour 1. We'll talk a little bit more about it with John Wilner of the San Jose Mercury News, Bay Area News Group. He had a big story today on a couple of firings in the Pac-12. We'll talk NFL later in the show. Who's your final four? They're down to eight. Give me your final four. Tweet it at me. Or forever hold your peace. At John Canzano BFT. Five at five coming up at five o'clock. Bobby Hurley will join us as well. All of that still ahead. John Wilner joining us now. Pac-12 guru. Also, my co-host on the Kanzano and Wilner podcast. Hey, uh, I'm at Arizona State's building. They had four, they had fourteen thousand people in here against UCLA last night. Uh, that place is a really good atmosphere when it's full. Uh, it does, it's un, unfortunately not full all the time, but uh, yeah, it's it's and it's, you know, I don't know the the last time it was. Uh, on renovation and all that, but it's got that old school feel. You know, it's uh, I like it. Then they got the Curtain of Doom, one of my favorite uh, acts in the whole Pac-12. The Curtain of Doom. The Curtain of Doom. Uh, hey, I want to put this to rest, but uh, I've been talking about this too long. But FS1 not having their broadcast team 
in the building. Uh, they're doing remote broadcasts. We see it in football. We see it in basketball. It bothers me. Am I alone in this? Is this a problem? Is, you know, it seems to bother the Pac-12, too. It does, and I, I totally get why the Pac-12 is bothered and why fans are bothered, right? Uh, at the same time, if you're SF, FS1, you're making business decisions, right? And the bottom line is you can kind of get away with doing it, right? I mean, the technology is such that they don't need to be on site necessarily. People don't. People can work remotely now with Zoom and all that. Well, FS1 can broadcast remotely, and the, I, I guess their calculation is that the cost savings outweigh any kind of, you know, decrease in the quality of the broadcast. But it is certainly unfortunate, especially for football. Yeah, I think it, it bothers football more than anything because of the investment we see. Uh, I found out today, Wilner, that it's less about the airfare in the hotel room and the expense there than it is they just want to have fewer broadcasters, and they can put a broadcaster on a game on a Friday night and have him call two games on Saturday. Right. Oh, yeah, because they got guys in the L.A. area. Yeah, sure. Sure. I, I totally get it. They're downsizing. You know, it's like a lot of the cutbacks that happened during COVID, you find that you can get away with with less and that becomes the permanent existence and it's very unfortunate for conferences the schools fans pac-12 uh tells me that they uh, have expressed their disappointment with this to the highest levels of fox i read between the lines there wilner that that uh fox is not going to be part of their new media deal that no way do they criticize fox if they're currently negotiating with them God, you wouldn't think but you know, you never know. Business is business, and Fox has got 20, 22, three-and-a-half-hour broadcast windows on Fridays and Saturdays in the fall that the Pac-12 has occupied for 10 years. And if it's those, you know, how many hours? That's 70-something hours of programming. they got to put something else on if they're not going to do a deal with Pac-12, and they could probably, you know, add a little bit here and there with other conferences, but... I don't know what they would have, you know, what they're going to put on that would replace college football for those broadcast windows. I, I would bet that Fox has some kind of deal with the Pac-12, but it's going to be slimmed down for sure. John Wilner with us, San Jose Mercury News. You had a story today. You broke the news of the Pac-12 firing two executives. It appears that uh, apparently uh, the network uh, received overpayments, or excuse me, the conference received overpayments. Can you unpack that for us? Tell us, you know, in layman's terms, what happened there? Well, I don't know everything, but we do know that an audit done in 2017 determined the Pac-12 networks received an overpayment from one of their partners. And... To be clear for everybody, ESPN and Fox are not partners with the Pac-12 networks. So we're talking about, like, Comcast, Dish, Frontier, Cox, Spectrum. Those are the broadcast partners. One of them was found to have been making overpayments to the conference, which made, obviously, the Pac-12 network's revenue look better than it actually was. The, the claim that has been made by that network is that this has happened over the course of years and it ended up overpaying by $50 million 
and these Pac-12 network executives knew about it and basically didn't say anything, and they were they were fired. We don't know the exact amount or the number of years, but it was clearly a substantial uh, dollar figure. And the two executives were the chief financial officer and the president of the Pac-12 Network. So we're not talking about low-level folks here. Uh, so, it's, you know, it's bad. It looks bad. And uh, it's going to probably, uh, my guess is, it's going to cost the conference uh, money, a lot of money in reimbursement fees. We're talking about Mark Shukin, who is the uh, Mark former... Mark Shukin and, and yeah. Brent Willman, yes. Brent Willman, the CFO, and... Mark Shukin, the uh, president of the Pac-12 Networks. Um, reading between the lines, you know, at that time, 2017, there was a lot of debate over subscriber numbers. How many subscribers does the Pac-12 Network have? And often we're told by industry people that the, the companies will do audits to make sure they're being billed at the correct, uh, you know, with the correct numbers. Um, is it possible that the Pac-12 just didn't want people to know that they were bleeding subscribers. I mean, it's certainly possible, and, and it would just be those two. Uh, we don't know who else knew. If anybody else knew, they have interviewed a bunch of people for this. They, they hired an outside legal firm to conduct the interview, uh, the interviews. Former Commissioner Larry Scott was interviewed. He was one of the people interviewed. We don't know what Scott knew, when he knew it, any of that. He may not have known anything, uh, but it is entirely possible that, that they were, you know, they knew this was happening uh, and they wanted to make things look better than they were because, of, right, I mean, at that time, the Pac-12 Networks was getting roundly criticized for its business model, for the lack of revenue, for the poor subscriber numbers. Uh, and so certainly if there's, and I'm, you know, just this is hypothetical, but if they're getting uh, overpaid by $10, 15000000 million from this one partner per year, well, looks, it looks better on the books with that extra cash than it would if, if you were, you know, out that money instead. Yeah, it also creates a system in which executives receive bonuses that they probably wouldn't have received otherwise. Uh, Larry Scott, was he, yes, interviewed, was he interviewed as part yes, of the audit, the former commissioner? Uh, Larry Scott was one of the people audited, uh, one of the people interviewed by the, the legal firm. And just for, the, for folks with timeline, uh, the conference, the current conference executives found out, uh, Commissioner George Klinkoff and, and uh, the audit committee, you know, they've got an audit committee, they've got an executive committee, all that. But when they found out in October, they ordered uh, an external, uh, you know, an outside investigation uh, from a law firm based in Palo Alto, and that firm spent a few months uh, doing the investigation, interviewing some people. I don't know how many, but Larry Scott was interviewed, uh, and then they reported the findings like a week ago to uh, the Pac-12, and so at that point, basically, the Pac-12 went about the process of terminating the, uh, the two executives. Can you imagine... George Klyovkov, I guess it's easier an easier conversation because it happened for George prior to his tenure. But can you imagine the conference call he has to have with the presidents and chancellors of the Pac-12 in which he has to say, hey, we may have to give this money back. And, oh, by the way, um, we've got a couple of executives who, who uh, engaged in some shady stuff here. I know. 
Um, it's not like he's got anything else going on either, right? <laughs> That's just brutal. Like, has been, uh, he's been on the job since July 1st of 2021, and it is hard to imagine a crazier, what is that, 18 months, basically, 18, 19 months, and now this gets dropped in his lap in October when he's trying to do a media deal. And he's got to he's got to deal with you know financial impropri- improprieties by two executives that could end up costing the conference tens of millions. Bananas. John Wilner with us, San Jose Mercury News. Okay, Wilner, um, I'm going to throw something at you uh, for people who want to go in more depth with this. Uh, you can listen to Kanzano and Wilner the podcast uh, wherever you get your podcast. But you asked me this question on the podcast. I want to fire it back at you. Set set an over under date for me on when you think Pac-12 media rights will be done so that we can get on to talking about the actual competition. What's your what's your due date, so to speak, now? Yeah, I think you – did you say March 1st on the podcast? You asked me before good. or after March 1st. I said before March 1st, but what do you oh, – you know, okay. is March 1st your – like, is that your over-under mark? You know what? I would say it probably is, and I would take the over – Mm. Um, by, but not by much. I, I would bet if I was going to put a like an artificial deadline on it, I bet it's done by Selection Sunday, which is like March. I don't have a calendar in front of me. It's like March 14th, March 12th, something in there. I bet by the middle of March, by the Ides of March, it's uh, they've got it done. And you know that, something? That, I mean, not just agreed to, but announced. With the grant of right, with all the schools and the grant of rights, the whole thing wrapped up by the middle of March would be my guess. They're going to ha- they're going to be in Vegas that first two weeks of March with the women's basketball tournament yep. the first weekend and the men's the second weekend. Is that a is that a good time for them to make some kind of announcement, have something to talk about? And do you know something on that front? Are you holding out on us? No, I'm not holding out on you. Uh, no, it is a good time. And the other piece to that is. That the presidents and chancellors, uh, and I don't know for sure that the meeting is on the books, but typically the presidents and chancellors gather in Las Vegas at the men's tournament for executive meetings. And, you know, something like this uh, that involves everybody and is so important, you know, you could easily see how that's the meeting in which they approve uh, and sign off on the media rights deal because they'll all be together, you know, March 10th, March 12th, somewhere in there. So John Wilner reporting today, uh, the Pac-12 has fired a couple of senior executives following an investigation into failure to report some overpayments from some of the uh, cable companies that the Pac-12 networks uh, had business with. Uh, Wilner, uh, I'm going to let you go here, but before I do, uh, I want to ask you about, you know, college basketball, Pac-12, UCLA, USC, both playing very well. Arizona State until last night looked like maybe they were going to try to make a little run here. Is this a two-bid NCAA tournament conference in your eyes? Is there a chance of a third team? What do you see happening in the next uh, month or so? Well, ASU to me is uh, is definitely the best bet to get a third bid, right, unless somebody – Unless there's an upset in the conference tournament and somebody wins the or earns the automatic bid, to me ASU would be the most likely candidate to get an at-large bid. And I think ASU is, you know, close to the bubble, 
I think if they pick the tournament field right now, ASU would probably be in, but it's they're close to the bubble. And, you know, other teams of Colorado's fallen off. I think Utah's in, uh, in the mix. Oregon needs to finish strong to get in the mix. But it doesn't – I mean, it's not looking very good. And that was – you know, that, the framework for that was set in November, December, when the Pac-12 lost so many of those non-conference games. John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. I appreciate you, my friend. Have a great weekend, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks very much. Have a good There he is. Cut him off. I feel bad. Uh, good stuff from Wilner. I feel like it's a hangover from the Larry Scott era. I feel like it is a, uh, hey, uh, you had a bad leader. You had a bad executive. You had a terrible commissioner. You had a guy who was looking out for his own interests and not the rest of the conference. I mean, this column's right in itself. And here's the hangover from it. In the end, am I surprised that the Pac-12 network had some executives who knew that they didn't have the subscriber numbers and kept that to themselves? Am I surprised by that? Nope. Um... Larry Scott, Pac-12 commissioner, gave himself a bonus, remember, and he gave his executive team, the two individuals included who were fired today, bonuses in that era while they were laying people off. Not surprised one bit. We'll talk some NFL coming up. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Huge NFL weekend. I just laugh because I have my mic turned down on the uh, commercial breaks, and I will often bring the mic up as the music starts, and I'll start talking, but, you know... I just sometimes I start talking and then I realize the mic's not up. So I had already said where I was broadcasting from. And if you tuned in, you know where I'm broadcasting from. But uh, huge NFL weekend coming up. Uh, by the way, guys, all right, I told you earlier I'm, I'm inside Arizona State's home basketball arena. And they're having an event called Beauty and the Beast to, tonight. 7 o'clock is when they start it. The gymnasts are in here. They have the... Uh, balance beam set up and the floor exercise set up and they have the uh what do they call that the uh the the two bars that are not the same height what do they call that the uneven parallel bars yeah that sounds right sounds sounds right <laughs> even if it's not so when were they they uh they fly around in a circle and then they like hit their hit their uh, stomach really hard on the other bar and it looks painful but probably i don't know maybe it gives i i don't know but, uh, like Mary Lou Retton, think that, okay? And then next to it, they have the Sun Devil Wrestling mat, that giant mat that has the big circle in the middle of it. So they're going to have uh, wrestling matches going on at the same time as a gymnastics meet. And so they're, they're actually playing a sanctioned NCAA event during this. So just to give you an idea of what's going on here, what I'm looking at is Arizona State has the number eight ranked wrestling program in the country okay and then the uh they're hosting cal poly so they're going to wrestle against cal poly while sun devil gymnastics does the gymnastics meet against stanford uh, on the other side of the gym the wrestlers are nowhere to be seen 
the gymnasts have been here for my whole broadcast. They've been warming up. They've been stretching out. They've been when they warm up, they do like a handstand and they walk across the mat. They are uh, they're they're into this. This is like an all day thing for them. The wrestlers, I don't know where they are, trying to make weight somewhere. But is this a good idea, Beauty and the Beast? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a fun idea. You know, um, I, I don't know how many fans they get for just one of the events if they go on, but I think if you can add two events and they're, you know, like it is, like you said, Beauty and the Beast, like they're kind of opposites, right? You know, the gracefulness of dancing against the, uh, you know, the barbaric fighting of wrestling. I feel like it's uh, it could be a good thing. They told me, because I asked Arizona State, it was short notice. Broadcast gets put together. I said, hey, uh, you know, originally there was some thought of me going to Tucson to see Arizona play UCLA on Saturday. Then it became, hey, why not Thursday? And then I said to Arizona State, well, what do I do with Friday's broadcast? Can I broadcast from your arena? And they said, yes. And they said, Beauty and the Beast is going on. I thought it was the play, Beauty and the Beast, that was going on today at this arena, but it makes sense because you're, you have a 14,000 seat arena. You're not going to get 14,000 people to show up for wrestling or gymnastics, but if you're doing both simultaneously, you know, you got a blended crowd and you might, you might actually look like there's some people in this building at seven o'clock. This NFL weekend, the AFC and the NFC obviously are going to be mixing it up. I want to talk a little bit about the NFL playoffs coming up in the uh, next segment. We'll also uh, got Punch It Audio still in front of us. We'll play What's Your Peeve. We also, because it's a Friday, we've got to go with uh, with uh, What's on Tap this weekend. But I got to tell you, uh, I got a lot of respect for wrestlers. Don't at me. My wrestling friends who are listening are texting me, going, you don't understand. The the gymnasts, yes, they, they can train. They can be out there. The wrestlers have got to be making weight. They've got to be... Wrestling is hard. I think it's one of the hardest sports ever. And, yes, I participated in wrestling, not at uh, any level that is worth really talking about, but uh, junior high. So uh, I get it. you got to make weight. It's brutal. It's a tough sport. Uh, but I also think it's a dying sport. I wish it weren't because I think Olympic Greco-Roman wrestling is fantastic to watch if you haven't seen it. But uh, I also have respect for gym- gymnasts, man. Best athletes on campus might be your gymnasts. Like, let's which sport on a college campus, guys? Let's kick this around for just a minute. If we're going, who is the best athlete on a college campus? Who are we talking about? What sport? And if you're picking a major sport, what position? Yeah, I, I think an underrated one is water polo for me. I mean, because they battle underneath the water. Like, that's the thing that we don't see when they're, you know, they get the cameras underneath. They're basically fighting while, you know, floating and swimming up there. And I'm not a great swimmer, so for me, like, that always is uh, intriguing. That's always an underrated one for me. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up the water because I was gonna, I was gonna mention a swimmer. You know, someone Swimmer's that's doing good. the hundred meter. You got, you got to have strength and endurance and agility, all of it. I mean, you know, basketball, a small far, forward to me always has kind of that balance of grace, strength, power, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, yeah, anything in the water, man. I'm gonna tell you right now. I'm watching the gymnasts and they're doing that uh, pommel horse thing where they run down the ramp at 100 miles an hour and then they uh, backflip into uh, handspring off of the horse. Uh, I'm going to say that the women that are doing this right now, 
may be among the greatest athletes on this campus. And I watched UCLA and Arizona State play basketball last night in this same building. Now, I will say I, I totally respect what you guys are saying about the water, especially if you're not someone who's great in the water. You, it's like watching a great musician, and you go, hey, uh, great musician, someone who can really play a musical instrument, that's awesome, somebody who can really swim, that is uh, you know, a spectacle. But I got to go with a small forward in basketball, a defensive back or an outside linebacker in football. Uh, give me your center fielder or your shortstop in baseball and softball. And give me the gymnasts that are doing the, the uh, horse. What do they call that thing? The vault? What is that? Where they jump and they handspring off that thing. Come on. I, yeah, I know what you're talking about. But, between I, I the three of us, can we not come up with what this is? <laughs> no. I, what, do you think, what do you think of this most athletic position in football? Because I would say I think it's the left tackle, like an elite left tackle. Because not only are they bigger, stronger than everybody, they're also unbelievably quick and coordinated. Like, I think they are the best athletes on the field. I, I got to say, I, I just think of, you know, I've, I've been in NFL locker rooms, and I think the, the most athletic appearance that I see is generally an outside linebacker, strong safety defensive back. And I'm talking about a blend of being able to run, jump, strength, coordination, agility. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, I think they're just – in an NFL locker room, too, you're talking about mutants. Yeah. And I think the introduction for me was, like, I, I covered a Niners-Giants game very early in my career, and Leonard Marshall, the great defensive tackle for the New York Giants, walked out of the locker room, and I was next to him. And his hip was about where my shoulder was. And I went, oh, my gosh, that's – an NFL defensive lineman. And you're right. Like, you know, I think you could look at defensive linemen. You could look at running backs. You could look at, you know, great wide receivers. Terrell Owens, fantastic athlete. But these gymnasts, uh, they're doing some things that I would be scared to attempt. Well, the thing about gymnasts too, John, that you are right on with is they have to use every muscle in their body, right? Like, yeah. like I think for basketball especially, like you don't necessarily have to have the biggest arms in the world, right? Like, you look at Kevin Durant, he, he couldn't even bench at the NBA Combine. Yeah. Like, he doesn't have to have that type of strength. Now, he's very he's a very good athlete and all that kind of stuff, but he doesn't need every every muscle in his body. I think gymnasts, they need basically every muscle in their body to be strength and chiseled. And so uh, you got to yeah. give him respect. Is Simone Biles the greatest athlete on the planet? Uh, we need the superstars competition that used to be on ABC Wide World of Sports to come back. All right, Punch It Audio is coming up. We're going to talk about the NFL playoffs. We'll give our final four. We're down to eight in the NFL playoffs. Who's going to advance? Who survives this weekend? That's next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. You're probably going to hear some music in the background of this broadcast uh, between now and the end of the radio show. I am uh, broadcasting from Arizona State's campus. I'm in their basketball arena where a gymnastics event is happening today. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the Pac-12 and other stuff. We're going to pivot to the NFL. But, guys, remember earlier in the show we had uh, the, the student broadcaster from Arizona State, Dominic Stern, on the show. Remember him? You guys forgotten him already? No, I, I remember him, yeah. Okay. We <laughs> talked about the Chargers. We talked about the Chargers. And he grew up in San Diego. He's a Padres fan. He was a Chargers fan. 
The Chargers moved to L.A. We had talked about whether or not, you know, hey, Dominic, are, are you still a Chargers fan? He says no, and they're basically they're dead to us. His dad reached out to me. Uh, his dad DM'd me. I love when parents listen to the show. And his dad, uh, John, uh, told me, uh, sent me uh, a photograph of young Dominic and Dominic's brother, both wearing Chargers jerseys as little kids. And the dad said, uh, they are dead to us. <laughs> like, you talk about pe- people in like sports, professional sports teams don't think about the impact that they have generationally. When they make business decisions, these decisions affect your rooting interests. They affect your childhood. Like, you know, look, I grew up a San Francisco Giants fan as a kid. They never won. They weren't good. They lost 100 games every year, it felt like. Uh, But they were my team, and they never left. And I had Johnny LeMaster, and I had Jack Clark, and I had Daryl Evans, and I had uh, Chili Davis in the outfield, and Jeffrey Leonard in the outfield, and... You know, they got Vita Blue well past his prime, but he was our Vita Blue. Candlestick Park, that was my ballpark. The 49ers, I was lucky, they won. The Warriors were terrible. Those were my teams. The Warriors were awful. They were the worst-run franchise in the NBA for a long time. Chris Washburn, the Al Adels era. You know, they, they, they everybody thought they were going to get Patrick Ewing. Instead, they got Chris Mullen. He was fine, but he wasn't Patrick Ewing. Um, but my team's never left. Have you ever rooted for a team that, that left on you? Guys, an NFL team, a pro team that left on you the way the Seahawks, or excuse me, the Sonics left for Oklahoma City, the way that the, the Chargers left, the way the Raiders abandoned Oakland for L.A., and then L.A. for Oakland, and then Oakland for Vegas. Have you ever had one of the teams you rooted for ditch you sort of i mean i'm not from la but i grew up an la rams fan and they took off to st louis for a while and it it sounds silly again it's not like i'm sitting there in burbank thinking i'm abandoned i'm still up in the pacific northwest but it kind of impacted my fandom for a couple years it really it just didn't feel right yeah i haven't had any but my cousin he's a big raiders fan and uh you know i was really curious to see if he was going to be a still raiders fan when they moved to vegas and he's like yeah of course why would i not be you know so um, I, I, it's, it is interesting because it's like, for me, like I would be mad if my team moved, like, like I said, if the Blazers moved, I couldn't be a fan, but I guess like, if you're not from that area, like maybe it's a little different. I don't know. If the Blazers moved, I, I think, I also think that Blazer fans are in an abusive relationship with their NBA franchise. True. So like, I, I do, I think it's emotionally abusive what this franchise has done to people over the years. And some of it's on the court, but most of it's off the court. It's just not a well-run organization, and it's not Joe Cronin's fault. He inherited this. It's not the current regime's fault, okay? They inherited it. But I think until the Blazers are sold, there's just a lot of pain that is that afflicts the fan base that I think just keeps perpetuating itself. And if the franchise, let's just say, Jody Allen decides she's selling to the highest bidder, even if that highest bidder wants to move this franchise, and the Blazers end up moving to – Seattle or somewhere else, I think the vast majority of Blazer fans would be done. I think they burn their gear. I agree. I would. Yeah, and I I don't blame them either. That's the thing. Like I I would not blame them because, as you said, this this franchise hasn't been ran very well, and 
you know, you talked about you know some of the players that you went through as a kid. Like I, me and Peter have gone through the same things, and we've done this on the Pulse. Like just name random Blazers. Like I you know I lived through the Sebastian Telfair years. You know oh, yeah. I, I high five Luke Schencher on uh, fan appreciation <laughs> night when he walked out of the rap like out of the building. Like those are the things like I remember, and I've I've had to go through those. And so at some point I wanted to pay off, and I want the Blazers to win a championship. I, it's just with this with this ownership, man. I I can't trust that at all. Yeah, and I think people right now, look, I don't think the Blazers are moving. Don't, don't, you know, don't reach out to me and say, what do you mean? But I don't think they're moving. I don't think the NBA, I don't think Adam Silver wants instability, uh, especially from a market that has supported the team and has a viable arena. Yes, Moda Center needs some improvements. I think uh, last time I talked to Chris McGowan, the former president of the Blazers, he said he felt that the arena needed, uh, you know, 150 to $200 million worth of improvements to become like a great, great, great NBA arena again. Uh, but I think if, if an ownership group does buy the Blazers, the complicating factor for me is, you know, the city of Portland owns the real estate under Moda Center. The Blazers lease it for a dollar, and the Moda Center is owned by the Blazers, but they don't own the land. So it's a really weird arrangement that they have with the building, which I think in some ways creates a measure of accountability and leaves the team here when others fear it could move. But I also think, like, whoever buys this thing has got to buy the real estate that Paul Allen owned that's all around the building. And so it, there is a development opportunity for somebody to come in, buy the building, create an entertainment district, do it the right way that should have been done so many years ago, and bring an NHL team to Portland as well. I mean, that building should not be empty during the NHL season. And apologies to the Winterhawks. I think they do a great job, and they have a great product, and they have a strong fan base, but... They have mostly demonstrated to me that there is an appetite for hockey here. It just doesn't make sense to me that we have not had NHL hockey at Moda Center. And, I, you know, there are some things that would have to be done to Moda Center to make it, like, fit the NHL's requirements. But I think that could happen as part of a renovation. You guys would, would do I, – I actually think, like, as much as I talk about Major League Baseball to Portland, I'd love to see that happen. It's a it's an easier lift to get an NHL team to Portland if the right person buys the Blazers. Yeah, I agree. And I'm you know I'm not a hockey guy. I'm more of a baseball guy. I would love to have Major League Baseball here, uh, but I could see myself you know really you know being a big hockey fan. Like I've been to some Winterhawks games and they're a lot of fun, um, especially with my kids. Like growing up, like they're still you know trying new things, learning about new things, and they you know they sort of like hockey. So yeah, I think that would be really fun, and uh, it would be good because it's like. You know, they have both these arenas there, right? The Coliseum and the Motor Center, but you can make it a great entertainment area. That's the thing is that you can make an entertainment area, and I think the more teams you add, just the more fun it is uh, just around the city. If they did an entertainment district like Tampa has or they did an entertainment district like Atlanta has around their ballpark, you know, it would have housing, it would have restaurants. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be, hey, let's go to the Blazer game. Or whatever event's happening at Moda Center, hell, it could be the rodeo. Like, let's go to see professional bull riding. And, oh, by the way, there's nowhere around Moda Center really to stop and go and, you know, have a drink, have something to eat, go after the event. You know, you don't have that. I don't care if you're going to see Beauty and the Beast or the Blazers. Like, there's just – it's not a place where you – it's not a destination. It's, hey, let's go have dinner or let's do this, and then we'll go for the game or the event. And it shouldn't be that way. All right, guys, I really want you to drill down on your final four in the NFL playoffs. There's eight teams left. 
In the next segment, we're going to make our final four picks. Who are the survivors from the NFL weekend? It's next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Today's broadcast uh, is coming at you from Arizona. I'm on the uh, campus of Arizona State. Uh, I'm inside the basketball arena at Arizona State. Uh, they call it Desert Financial Arena. It's like a 50-year-old building. Uh, a lot of people here uh, are talking to me about how they need a new arena. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think there's some charm to this building. It's functional, but I think that's what people say when you have a 50-year-old arena. I want to turn the focus uh, of this broadcast now to the NFL playoffs. There are eight teams remaining who have life in the playoffs. We're going to go around the room. Uh, I want you to tell me who your final four are. Who's going to survive this weekend? We're doing a we're not doing a survivor pool, but Jacksonville plays Kansas City. This is uh, this game uh, will take place tomorrow. And uh, tomorrow evening, it'll be the New York Giants at Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC. And Cincinnati, the Bengals, will travel to Buffalo on Sunday afternoon. And Dallas is at San Francisco late afternoon, early evening on, on Sunday, as the 49ers and Cowboys will play in a uh, brand-name clash from the old NFL. Uh, guys, give us your final four. Let's start with Peter Sampson. A drum roll, please. Da -da 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 -da. Peter Sampson, give me your final four. Yeah. And tell me why. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I've been on the New York Giants for the last couple days, how they could upset Philly. I look at the Buffalo Bengals game, and I think Buffalo hasn't been playing necessarily their best football. They're playing with fire. The Bengals are motivated. We saw what the Cowboys just did to Tom Brady and the Buccaneers after I picked the Buccaneers to shock the world. And I'm going completely chalked this week. Kansas City. Philadelphia, Buffalo, San Francisco, those are your winners. It's boring, but that's what's going to happen. Wow. There it is. Peter Sampson's picks. Uh, do you have a reason why on any of those, like a game you really like, that give me your certain survivor? for the weekend. Kansas City Chiefs are absolutely going to beat uh, Jacksonville. I know Stephen Vaughn will probably disagree yeah. with me there. I just can't see it happening just the Chiefs are too good Patrick Mahomes is the MVP of this year they've been there before they're at home they had a bye I love the Chiefs I agree with you on the Chiefs I think they are the safest survivor pick like if you're pick if you're playing survivor pool right now with the teams that are that are potentially remaining Kansas City feels like the safest pick to me and and uh the other games are all tight to me but I I I liked the Eagles early in the week and then as I talked to the guy that flipped my mind on it is Nick Galliotti, the former D coordinator at Oregon. He loves the New York Giants in that game. He thinks the Giants are going to beat the Eagles. I'm having a, a hard time with that game now, so I'm going to flip my pick in the NFC there. I'm going to take Kansas City on Saturday. I'm going to take the New York Giants in an upset of the Eagles. And then on Sunday, I don't know who's going to win the Cincinnati-Buffalo game, but I think Buffalo might be the best team left. Uh, in, among the eight, 
but I don't know who's going to win because I think Cincinnati and Joe Burrow, I mean, I think there's they're playing with a chip on their shoulder. And they I think they felt like in that Monday night game when DeMar Hamlin got hurt that that was going to be their big night. And I like the way they started to play that game. I think this game is going to be insanely close. Um, I will take Buffalo. I don't feel great about it. And then in the Sunday late game, I got to take the Niners at home. I just think they're they're too much for Dallas. I think San Francisco, with the addition of Christian McCaffrey, with what they do on defense, too good. So I'm going Kansas City, New York Giants, Buffalo, San Francisco. Stephen Stephen Vaughn, what do you got? Oh man, I feel like I'm way against both of you guys. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go upset here. I'm gonna go with the Jags over the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs are somewhat vulnerable, and I might be on an island on this one. But I do think that the Chiefs have been coasting this season. And you talk about Patrick Mahomes being MVP, and he certainly deserves it. But he lost Tyreek Hill, and I think that's going to show up in the playoffs. Does he have that vertical threat that can really stretch the defense out? I don't know that they do. I think the Jaguars have a solid defense. Uh, Trevon Walker has been really good. Uh, Josh Allen, the linebacker, has been really good. And then, of course, Trevor Lawrence. Like I think he, you know, we talked about this earlier uh, in the playoffs. Who's that guy that's going to make him a household name? And I had said either Trevor Lawrence or Justin Herbert. I think this is Trevor Lawrence's time to really, you know, put his foot in the ground and say, I'm a really good NFL quarterback and I'm here to stay. Uh, so I think the Jaguars get the win over the Chiefs in Kansas City as a huge upset. I, and I'm going to take the Eagles as well over the Giants. And this would be my survivor pick is Eagles over Giants. As the week's gone on, I really think that the Eagles are going to handle the New York Giants. And the reason why, you know, I go back to the week 14 matchup they had when both teams were healthy. The Eagles ran for over 200 yards in that game, over eight yards of carry. I think that they can do that again as long as Jalen Hurts is healthy. And that's the question we don't know. But I have to take the reporters at their word. And the fact that he's not on the injury report, uh, he's been practicing fully this week. I have to think that Nick Sirianni is not going to have any limitations on the guy. So if Jalen Hurts is healthy, which I think he is, I think that the Eagles uh, should be able to beat the Giants pretty easily. And I think they can uh, – I'd lay the number of seven and a half in that one. I think they win big. I'm going to take Buffalo as well, and I feel good about this one. I think Buffalo is the best team in the NFL. Johnny talked about this. They might be. I think they're the best team in the NFL, and I think they're real to prove it. I think the Bengals are really good, but three offensive linemen are going to be out. Uh, three starters, that is. So they're going to be you know, three backups on the, on the five offensive linemen starting. They gave up four sacks to the Ravens last week. Last year, remember the playoffs, they gave up a bunch of sacks to the Titans, and they ended up winning. I think they gave up nine sacks. Still got the win, but I think – in Buffalo, in that environment, uh, with everyone you know rushing down Joe Burrow's throat, I think they're going to have a problem there. And Josh Allen I think is going to have a big game. I take the Bills. And then uh, the final game is the Cowboys and the 49ers. I'm going to go with the Cowboys. I'm going to mm. say another upset. I think that uh, you know, I'm, it's not that I'm waiting for the Brock Purdy game where he throws interceptions, but I was talking to Jude about this. You know, Seahawks 49ers. We saw Brock Purdy run around, make some plays in the backfield, and then throw it down the field to the running backs. I don't think the 49ers want him to do that against the Cowboys. Against no. the Seahawks, I think that's okay. But when you go against a really good defense like the Cowboys and you're trying to make a big play, that's when turnovers happen. I could see that happening where you know Brock Purdy's getting very comfortable in this offense, very comfortable with himself, tries to make a big play. And that's when Trevon Diggs, Micah Parsons, someone makes a big play for the Cowboys, and I think it can come back and haunt the 49ers. And then for the Cowboys offensively, they're rolling right now. Dak Prescott, really good. Five touchdowns accounted for last game. They got the running game, Zeke and Pollard. They got C.D. Lamb. They got some good tight ends. I think the Cowboys are a, a really good team. I think they're going to win in San Francisco. I'm just not sold. Like I, Dak Prescott played a fantastic game, obviously, in, in you know, in their in their win. And 
it was it was a nice moment for him. But I'll tell you what I didn't like about the Cowboys. Um, Ezekiel Elliott didn't feel right to me. And, and I know that he's shared time in the backfield. I think in order for the Dallas Cowboys to beat anybody to beat the 49ers, I think you have to run the ball. Can they run effectively against the 49ers defense? I think that's what Seattle did in the first half of that game that gave the Niners some trouble is Seattle ran the football, and they found themselves in a virtual tie at halftime. Can Dallas run on San Francisco? Yeah, you make a good point. I think it is very important for the Cowboys to do that, but I would argue that you know, I think it's not Zeke that I'm worried about. I mean, Tony Pollard. I think Tony Pollard's been the better back the last couple of years, and Cow- the Dallas Cowboys have finally realized that they're giving him a lot more carries. This seems like a real Tony Pollard type of game where you can either you know throw a little swing pass, get him out, in the, get him out on the out in space, um, and then have Zeke kind of be a goal line back if they need him. But it seems like you know they're not going to break any big runs because that 49er defense is so good, best in the NFL. You're not going to have any huge plays, but I do think that Dallas can run enough. Uh, to keep it, keep them honest, and then they can take a shot downfield to CeeDee Lamb maybe, kind of like what the Seahawks did. You know, the end of the second quarter, the third down, 49ers brought the blitz. They went deep to DK. I think the Cowboys are going to do the same thing with CeeDee Lamb. Uh, all right, let's talk blowouts for just a moment. Uh, team most likely to get blown out. I, I actually think, because as you talk about this, I think San Francisco, and it could be the fan in me, I think San Francisco has the best shot to blow out their opponent this weekend. I think there's a chance they could blow Dallas off the field and it could be ugly. Like it could be 31-14 or something like that. Where is the biggest blowout in your mind, Stephen and Peter? My biggest blowout would be the Eagles over the Giants. Uh, it, this happened already. In New York, it was 48-22. The Eagles dominated that game. I, I could see that happening again where the Eagles really put their foot down and say, you know, we are the number one seed for a reason, and they go out and prove it. Yeah, I think Philly, New York, I'm going to say that's the second most likely for me, and I don't necessarily think this is going to happen, but if Trevor Lawrence comes out and he plays again like he did in the first half, there's a chance that the Chiefs, they make it ugly in a hurry. Now, do I think Trevor Lawrence is going to do that? No, but, I mean, it's possible. You could see, like, 28 nothing again at halftime. Yeah, can they could we have a come-from-behind victory <laughs> by somebody else this week? Uh, look, uh, I, regardless, I think it's going to be fun to watch. I think it's interesting. It's entertaining. Uh, coming up, what's your peeve? It's a Friday. I want you to get it off your chest. I have a peeve that I want to share. I want to know what's bothering you. 503-417-7575. Grab those lines now. I want to know what's on your mind. You always make me smile, and you help other people who may have a similar peeve. I think there's some there's a catharsis that happens when people say, hey, this is what's bothering me. This is what's on my mind. So you tell me, what's your peeve? That's that's what I want to hear. All right, my peeve is when I think we're on a normal break and I don't realize it's the top of the hour and I have to go all the way all the way to all the way to fifty nine thirty four. Yeah, we still got so. a little over a minute. Here. I, at a minute. I was on a roll there. That was right? <laughs> that is a that is a peeve. That's about me. I should have I should have noticed no, that you were that no. you were stalling going to the end there. No, no, no. My peeve my peeve is when I it's on me. When I when I don't pay attention to the clock. But I want you to line up. We will do what's your peeve? Also coming up, I'm told Bobby Hurley's gonna gonna call into the show or he may stop by. I'm sitting in his basketball arena. Least you could do is say hello. And uh, also we will have some punch and audio in the five o'clock it's, hour. It's fair. You have been distracted by Beauty and the Beast right now. You know what I'm thinking now? The the gymnasts who are in the arena are pretty much done warmed up done warming up. Now they're just hanging out. I haven't seen a wrestler yet. You know? Maybe they're like, just hanging Loudon? out in the locker room. Yeah, where's Loudon Swain right now? See outside, like we're shoot. 
Is he carrying a log in the football stadium stands or something? Like, what is going on with, with the wrestlers? They're just working out. They're getting swole. Probably. Wrestlers are different. It's wrestler is a Wrestling is a weird sport. Like, and I, I mean that in a, with all due respect. It's peculiar. Let's just call it that. It's a peculiar sport. Leave it here. B-F-F-T. Now, from the campus of Arizona State University, built by high-caliber millwrights, here's John Canzano with a ball-faced truth. Well, you may be confused. You may be tuned in going, why is Canzano on campus at Arizona State? Well, I was here uh, for the UCLA-Arizona State basketball game last night and decided to stick around and broadcast uh, today's show. I'm in Arizona State's basketball arena where a wrestling and gymnastics event is being set up. It'll start right at the end of the broadcast, but fans are starting to mill in here, guys, and I'm telling you, they may be onto something. They're billing this as Beauty and the Beast. They've got wrestling going on on one end of the uh, of the arena later tonight, and then they've got gymnastics going on the other. Uh, the gymnasts, they look like they are far more hardworking to me. They've been warming up for hours, and they continue to warm up, and the, the wrestling mat is empty. Um, so uh, I, uh, I'm going to say the better athletes are the gymnasts at this point. More determined, more locked in, putting in more hours. And when I say that, uh, wrestlers are probably off somewhere running to make sure they make weight. Uh, we've got the 5 at 5 coming up here, top of the hour, as we do uh, every day on the show. Plus, uh, we're going to do What's Your Peeve, and we will mix in some Punch It audio, and uh, Bobby Hurley, the Arizona State basketball coach, uh, may join us. He is supposed to either call in or show up at the end of his practice if it wraps before the end of this radio show. Uh, look, I also want to tell people, like, you know, this show is very free-flowing. If you haven't figured that out already, I had somebody today say to me, like, you know, when did you know you were going to be broadcasting at Arizona State's arena? Um, probably yesterday, less than 24 hours ago, I really figured it out. But I knew I wasn't going to be broadcasting from home. There's a good chance I was in Tucson uh, and would have been on Arizona's campus. But the aim of this show is to take you where the stories are. And today... This is apparently where the stories are. So let's get into the five biggest stories going on in sports. The Five at Five. I want to start with the Pac-12 Conference. The Pac-12 has fired a couple of key senior executives. Uh, this is an interesting story. The conference apparently did an audit of its uh, relationships with cable providers and determined that it had over uh, it had been overpaid by one of its providers. This goes back to 2017. George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, this happened before his tenure. It happened on Larry Scott's watch. Larry Scott's gone. But now so are Mark Shukin, the head of the Pac-12 networks, and the conference's chief financial officer. If you really want to uh, dive deep into this, it really is related to overpayments that totaled more than $50 million. That's $50 million the Pac-12 is going to have to pay back to uh, its carriage providers because it apparently inflated the number of subscribers that it had. Uh, this isn't good for the Pac-12. It's a bad look. It's distracting. It happens while they're trying to negotiate their media rights. 
But I got to be honest, it's the hangover from Larry Scott that we're really dealing with. If you're the Pac-12, you cannot be happy with what is happening. And I'm sure that this was an uncomfortable conversation that new commissioner George Klyovkov had to have with his 12 bosses, who will now be faced with repaying $50 million that they received over the last decade or so. That's number one in our five at five. John Wilner, Bay Area News Group, had the story. He was on our show. If you want to hear more about that, grab the podcast. Uh, Second thing in our five at five, uh, let's talk about the Lakers. Anthony Davis could return to the Lakers lineup as soon as next week. This is being touted by ESPN and Adrian Wojnarowski as uh, progress. The right foot, Anthony Davis's right foot. Uh, you know, the Lakers have a five-game trip in late January. They start in Boston. This is a foot stress injury that has had him out since mid-December. Apparently, he's been ramping up his activity. Uh, Darvin Ham said that Davis has been progressing, quote, really, really, really well, end quote. You know, before the injury, he had an uptick in his production, guys. Lakers are 20 and 25. If Anthony Davis comes back and picks up where he left off, how good are the Lakers? Pretty darn good. I mean, not great. They still lack a a lot of talent. They lack some size, a lot of shooting. But Anthony Davis was playing at a near MVP level when he got hurt. And, I mean... So you say the Lakers are a threat, but that the real question is, well, is he going to stay healthy all season? Because he never does. So, yeah, he's been out, what, a, a three weeks, a month, whatever it's been. There's no guarantee that in March he's not going to go out again. But if he can suit up, he's playing at a great level, and uh, it, it, they're dangerous at least while he's in uniform. Yeah, it's just another team in the Western Conference that the Blazers are going to have to worry about. And you know, right now, the Blazers are one game up on the Lakers, and the Lakers are only two games out of that 10 seed. I mean, there's 13 teams in the Western Conference that are – competing for those 10 play-in spots. I think the Lakers are right there. And if Anthony Davis is healthy, I do think that the Lakers are probably a little bit better than Blazers. And uh, they can definitely be a play-in team. Probably not going to make it up to that sixth seed, but they can get into the play-in. Steven, you're going to see the Lakers on Sunday in person. I want a full report on what you think of them as they are in Portland uh, coming up this weekend. Yeah, I get to see LeBron James for the first time in person. I'm really psyched about it. You've never seen LeBron. Really? Never, Never live in person, no. So, I mean... I'm excited. I, and again, yeah. my son yeah. is just getting so spoiled. You know, he gets to see LeBron for the first time. It's like, you know, he's eight years old. I'm 35. I still have never seen the guy. Well, he might see LeBron for the first time. And, you know, let's be real. He ain't going to be on the court for that long, yeah. much longer. Is it bad so. that I want LeBron to do something, like, really cool, like have a cool dunk or something? Or is that, like, blasphemy because I'm supposed to group for no, the No, but do you remember LeBron's first appearance to Portland? Anybody remember how many points he scored? I do. I was there. Saw him in his very first appearance in, at what was then Rose Garden Arena. How many scored was it? Ni- scored nine points. See the over. I'm setting the over under at nine and a half. So that that's all he's got to get. You got to get to ten, and then it's a good. It's a good appearance. Your kid may see a better LeBron than I saw, and I saw him at the beginning. <laughs> I don't know where I am. Number three. Number three in the five at five. Uh, Brianna Stewart, free agent now. Former WNBA MVP says she's meeting with four WNBA teams. The Storm, the Liberty, the Lynx, the Mystics. The uh, league's free agency period opens Saturday night at midnight. Uh, Her free agency comes at an interesting time because the WNBA has been really hyper-focused on player compensation and trying to figure out, like, how are they going to pay their players and 
you know, where do they fall and what, what's going to happen with charter air travel and overseas commitments? Brianna Stewart has been outspoken publicly on these issues, and it's led to some speculation that she's going to lead the charge here. And so I look for her to – she's meeting with all these teams, but the Liberty feel like the team. That's the market, right? New York Liberty, Brianna Stewart, don't tell me that I don't talk WNBA on the show. That's my bet. She's going to New York. You have to bet. Where is she going? Seattle, New York, Minnesota, or Washington? Uh, I'll go New York. You know, it seems like uh, agree. Hot, it's a hot spot to go. New York. I think that's where she can have the biggest impact. So I think that's where she lands. NFL weekend. Obviously, we've been talking about the NFL. There are eight teams left. It'll be down to four by Sunday night. 49ers and Cowboys on Sunday. Obviously, you got Patrick Mahomes trying to stay alive in these playoffs. Josh Allen and the Bills. Everybody uh, forecasting, the experts at least, forecasting a Bills-Chiefs AFC Championship game and an Eagles-49ers NFC Championship game. Will that hold up? It rarely goes as seeded. It's the NFL. There's parity, there's surprises, and the best team wins. Uh, I'm making this my fourth thing in my five at five. The NFL playoffs, I said it on yesterday's show. I went deep on this. They just plain get it. Here they are at the round of eight, and none of us knows quite what's going to happen. We think we know. We might have an opinion on it, but none of us really knows. I wish the NBA could do this. I wish, you know, I wish that we got this kind of intrigue in college football. When they got to the round of four in college football, I think most people still thought Georgia was going to win it all. I think that was easy, the easy, low-hanging fruit pick. But for those of you who are interested in the NFL, I don't blame you. The NFL does a lot to make sure that we are all interested. And finally, the fifth thing in my five at five. Look, I wrote about it today. I talked about it off the top of the show today. FS1, you're not the only guilty party. A lot of broadcast entities... Sports in particular, sports programming entities, have turned to remote broadcasting as a way to save money. They think they are uh, trying to hold on to the integrity of the broadcast. But I think viewers are smarter than the, than the uh, networks give them credit for being. I also think there are a lot of us who value the extra, you know, intrinsic, intrinsic value that you get from being inside of a venue. Me right now inside of Arizona State's home basketball arena watching gymnastics and wrestlers warm up for an event Arizona State's having tonight on campus. There's a lot you can pick up that isn't on your monitor. Uh, it's interesting to me that the Pac-12 was quoted in my piece today calling out Fox, saying that they were disappointed with Fox not having the FS1 broadcasters on site last night here at Arizona State. Uh, also... It kind of tells me that Fox may not play a big role in the future media rights deal that the Pac-12 puts together. That is the 5 at 5 as I meandered through it. I appreciate that you're here. Coming up, what is your peeve? Line up now. Get it off your chest. 503-417-7575. It's a Friday on the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. What's your peeve? 
What's been bothering you? What's on your mind? You know it's a Friday, and I don't want you to go to the weekend uh, without getting it off your chest. Somebody cut you off in traffic? Uh, somebody rude to you? You got a coworker? You got a loud chewer that, uh, you know, is uh, driving you crazy? You tell me what's been bothering you or maybe what bothers you when it comes to uh, your your week, your day, your month, your life, your year. I, you know, whatever it is you need to talk about, the best part of this segment is the fact that no matter what you say, I know that somebody else listening is going to nod and go, oh, yeah, I hate that too. So I want you to line up at 503-417-7575 and tell me what's your peeve. What's your peeve? Oh, that pisses me off. That pisses me right off. Call 503-417-7575 and tell Kinzano what's your peeve on the BFT. Brought to you by Revolution Dental Implant Center. A smile revolution, one day solution. What is it that bothers you? What's your peeve? 503-417-7575 is the number. I want you to line up now. Uh, I'm looking for uh, long-time callers, first-time callers. Doesn't matter. Just somebody, gotta, you got to get it off your chest. I don't want you going into this weekend carrying that peeve along with you. I'm going to go first. We'll go around the room. Bring the heat, Peter. Bring the heat, Stephen. But here's my peeve. My peeve is wishy-washy people. When you, uh, you know, and, and granted, I'm not a fence-sitting person. I have an opinion. Uh, I don't need you to just be opinionated, but I don't like people who are, uh, I don't like it when, I shouldn't say I don't like people. I don't like it when people uh, sit on the fence and are wishy-washy. And you know what drives me crazy? I make a bunch of decisions. I'm very decisive in my job, whatever, whatever. If I say to you, you're a friend of mine, I say, hey, let's let's uh, meet for coffee. Let's meet for lunch. Let's go. And I say, what do you want? Where, what's a good place you want to meet? And they say, oh, I don't care. It's up to you. And it's okay if you do that once. But if you do that every time, I start to think you don't want to make any decisions, and you're just you're milk toast. You're wishy-washy. Don't do that. What's your peep, Stephen? Yeah, so this is going to be a little representative of my wife because this happened in real time, and I told her, I was like, you know what, I'm using this for the show. So we were going out to a nice family dinner with the with the kids, two kids in the car. Uh, we're in the parking lot. And my wife, I've mentioned this before, but my wife is really good at weird things. Like, she's really good at slot machines. She ends up winning somehow. I don't know how. Wow. But she's also really good at finding parking spots. Like, she will drive right to the front, and she will always get a spot. Where me, I'm going to park at the very end. I'm Clark Griswold. I'm going to park. Wait a minute. You give, you do a give up. Yeah. Uh, like, entering the parking lot, you see an empty space. You don't even bother going to the front. No. No. I, I, I Yeah. I, I see a spot. Oh. I'm going to park. So she's not like that. She will drive, like, around and give it a quick loop to get to the front. Yeah. So we're driving. We're going, getting ready she's for normal. <laughs> oh, maybe that's weird of me. Uh, <laughs> going for the nice dinner, and... This car has the reverse lights on. So she stops. Uh -huh. She's waiting to go. <laughs> All of a sudden, they put it back in drive, and they drive forward. Yeah. But they go so Good far one. forward that you can't see the car anymore. Yeah. So we creep up. We're going to go in the spot. All of a sudden, reverse lights back out. But they go like, more than halfway out. So we're like, are they coming out? No. They go back into the spot, try to go out the front way, like through, you know, pull through the next spot. But there's cars driving around on the road. So they can't pull out. They're trying to get out. 
So all of a sudden, my wife is just getting so frustrated. She's yelling at these people just to make a decision, just to go, just to reverse. They want to pull through. They they won't do it. They just have to. They want to pull through, not reverse. All of a sudden, she finally gives up and she goes to the next spot in front of her. Yep. Then that car reverses out and oh. uh, someone takes her spot. She was just so mad at them that they couldn't just reverse at the start. They they were so adamant that they had to pull through to the next spot, but then someone parked in that spot as they were trying to do it, and they hesitated. She cannot stand hesitating parkers. She just can't stand it. It's and, brutal, and that's a, that's a trick. You can't do that. But that's why I that's why when I see a spot, John, I'm just going to take it because I know that I'm going to lose patience with these people that they don't know what they're doing, and I'm just going to park right away. I, I don't need to deal with this. You're uh, you're going to take the bird in the hand. Yeah. Anna doesn't like that. She If I ever do that, she calls me on it. She says, "No, you can't do that. You're not taking. You're not taking the. Uh, you know, you're not gonna just take the first spot uh, and end up. Uh, you know, messing up. Uh, you know, you you gotta go at least look. No, you don't think you gotta at least go look? I mean, if I'm going to Costco, I, I'm just going straight to the second lot. Like I'm just going straight to the second lot and I'm walking in. Like I don't. It doesn't matter to me. I'm getting in there quicker anyways because I'm gonna find a spot right away and I'll get right in. Peter Sampson." What, what What's your peeve? Yeah, my peeve this week, no, it's not with my cat. It's not with the contractor at the house, even though we do have both situations going on still. My peeve is with uh, older women, and it's always women, and they're always older. When I'm hanging out with my kiddo, we're walking around town, we're doing whatever we're doing, and they say, oh, you giving mom a break? You haven't, are you babysitting right now? Or are you Mr. Mommy? No, I'm parenting my child because I'm an adult, I'm responsible, and uh, please don't be so patronizing. I know what I'm doing, and I'm just handling what I'm supposed to handle. Uh, that's okay. You're being a responsible person. Right. You're being a, you're, uh, you're legitimately doing what a responsible human being should be doing. Yeah, they're acting like it's out of the ordinary. Exactly. To, like, take care of your child. It's always older women. I think maybe 40, 50 years ago it was out of the ordinary to uh, some degree. But, yeah, it's, yeah. it's interesting. Good for you. Get it off your chest. Don't go into the weekend. 503-417-7575 is the number. Let's go to the phone lines. Chris is in Portland. Chris, what is your peeve? Hey, John, how you doing? Doing well. Good. Hey, my, my peeve is I can't watch in market games. I, I I don't have I don't have all the fancy stuff to watch the Blazers. Yep. You know, and, and if I want to watch a Kraken game, I get blacked out on ESPN Plus because it's 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 in market and they don't show those games. It's like how am I supposed to become a fan or grow my my relationship with any of these franchises, local franchises, if I can't watch them? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I think the teams, I think it's been short-sighted by the teams. I think they've locked a lot of people like you out. And I don't think Portland's alone. I don't think people in our market are alone. I think it's happening all over the place. And I wonder, like, you know, look, I, I know you're not like a 10-year-old kid, but I wonder about 10-year-old kids. How are they going to get bonded to their teams if they can't see them? Yeah, it's ridiculous, man. Well, I'm glad you got that off your chest. Chris in Portland can't see his own teams in his own market that he loves. Don't blame him. David is in Vancouver. David, what is your peeve? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of peeved to myself about this, actually. Uh, so earlier in the show, you were talking about, you know, watching a gymnast uh, yeah. woman up, and she's running down the runway, and yep. she hits that horsey thing, and you never revealed what the name of that thing was. 
and it was driving me nuts. I was driving. Vault. I can't, it's the vault. Know, hit Google. I know. It's the vault. So Sorry. I, so <laughs> my first chance of pulling over before I got home, I did and Googled that. And uh, you talked about the horsey thing. That's the, the pommel horse. Yes. The thing with the handle. <laughs> anyway. It, did you look all nuts. these things up? Like you can't. You're not okay not knowing. I, I, it was driving me nuts. I was driving. I'm like, what is that thing called? And you said horse. I'm like, it's not it. No, and it's I the could, vault. I, I couldn't think of it. I looked it up, too. I have the same affliction that you have. Uh, I think we. Ha I think there's a generational thing that's going on. Guys, I, I want to talk about this for a second. Um, you know, there was a time when when we got in the car, we didn't have a phone that had GPS that told us every turn. We had to look up where we were going before we left. Uh, sometimes people had a map. Sometimes you had to uh, search it on the Internet and then write it down or print it out. And you'd take your directions with you and you'd say, okay, I'm going to go on I-5 and I'm going to take this exit. Then I'm going to turn left on this road. Then I'm going to go down the street and it's the third house. Like you used to do that. But now we have GPS. We also had a time in history where we, uh, we would talk to each other. And we would talk about things like, you know, the discussion we had early in the show about what is that thing where you run down the ramp and you uh, jump and flip in the air. And, and we were okay not knowing what it was. We didn't have Google. We didn't have the, like, we had encyclopedias across the room, but nobody was scrambling over there going, search it, search it. Now, if we're sitting around at a coffee shop or having a meal or even if we're on air on this show and something comes up that we don't know, there is a um, almost an addiction that we have to be able to find that answer. I, I think it. I think there's brain chemistry involved in this. Like the uh, the uh, the medical people could probably tell us. The scientists out there could probably tell us that they're. It's it's greatly satisfying, in the same way that these kids have these YouTube channels where they're opening packages and you know kids watch it for like three hours. They're what, what's inside the package. Like, there's brain chemistry involved. There's a payoff involved when we get the answer. So the, what the caller's talking about, you know, I was, I'm, I'm here at Arizona State. I'm inside Desert Financial Arena. I'm, uh, I'm talking about the gymnast who's running down the, you know, the runway towards that apparatus. And, you know, she bounces off the springy thing and her hands hit the, uh, the apparatus and she, you know, vaults off of it. And I'm going, what is the name of that event? And none of us knew. I don't know if you guys looked it up on the commercial break. I did. I'll bet you a lot of our, our listeners looked it up. It's called The Vault. Some of you knew that. I know it once every four years. I'm an expert on The Vault, like everybody else in the Olympics. But do you guys find yourself doing that? Like, if you're at the dinner table, you're at a coffee shop, something comes up, and you guys don't know the answer. How quick are you to grab your phone and search it? Or how quick is someone in the room... Grabbing their phone. Are you okay not knowing the answer? I am for a little while. I, 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 but I'm a stickler for, hey, man, no phones at dinner, you know. So we'll have the conversation. We'll put a pin in that later tonight. Hey, what was that thing? Then we'll look it up. Because 
if I was leaving myself to my own devices, John, it would be three seconds from asking the question to looking on my phone. So I have to sort of cultivate a patience with not knowing because I think you're right. That's being trained right out of us. Yeah, see, I, I'm like Peter. Like, I, I would, I like to look it up, but I also like to not look it up at the same time. I like to be confident in my answer, whether it's right or wrong. So, like, if I had a good answer right off the top of the bat, like when you said, what is that thing called? And I just had some random word and I was confident about it like I would say it when I would act like it's true um, yeah. but like my family like my wife and my kids like they have to know literally everything and what the exact answer is right away so I think it's a little different but uh, for me like I, I do like to guess I like to guess and act like I know a lot more than I do and uh, sometimes people call me on it yeah but I, I think Anna always says to me like hey why are you not okay just not knowing and I think it it literally is rooted in uh, the payoff that you get when you're able to look something up. I think there's uh, obviously um, some brain chemistry involved, probably the same brain chemistry that's involved with successful YouTube channels. Well, and there's always that situation where you're at a party or you're, you are with people and that question gets brought up and you want to know the answer, right? Like you want to sound smart in front of people. Yeah, and we, and we used to know, um, we used to know, like <laughs> there was a comedian who had a bit about this and he says, you know, there used to be, uh, you know, one person in the relationship who knew what was going on and the other one didn't. Like, one of us is smart and one is not. Like, you very rarely could have two dumb people in the same relationship. And in, in mine, Anna's the smart person. You know, I'm the dumb person. Now with Google and the ability to look up anything on your phone, we don't know who the smart person in the relationship is anymore. It takes a little more time. Yeah, you can just pose yeah. as smart, even if That's you're not. That's right. A lot of fakey bobs out there faking their way through it. I want you to leave it here. Punch and audio coming up right here in the BFT. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, we got big NFL weekend. Obviously, uh, for those of you who are uh, tuned into the Blazers, you got the uh, LeBron James and the Lakers coming to Portland over the weekend. Uh, we, you know, we uh, we will be tuned into college basketball as Oregon and Oregon State will be playing the Civil War basketball game. Who you got? Who you got in the Civil War basketball game? Uh, give me the Ducks. I think the Ducks are going to start uh, winning a little bit more. I think or Oregon State's in a tough spot. Uh, you know, I think obviously. When you think about this season and you think about Dana Altman, you think about Wayne Tinkle, the momentum that Oregon has and, and the talent that Oregon has against uh, Oregon State, um, to me that the only thing that's interesting about this matchup is the fact that Oregon has not been consistent. And I think there's a fair chance that uh, Oregon could come in and uh, not be very good. And if they're not, maybe Oregon State's up for it. I don't know. But I think uh, I'll, I'll, I'm with you, Stephen. I'll take the ducks in that one. Uh, let's play some punch and audio. We have the best sound from all around. Let's do it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's start with Jim Nance. Talking about the kickoff return 
that Naheem Hines had for a touchdown. He called it a storybook. Here's Jim Nance on the Ryan Rosilio podcast talking about the Hines kickoff return for a touchdown. Punch well, it. it happens in a flicker of a second, and you can't even prepare for it. Did I have any idea that the opening kick would be returned for a touchdown or to have that in my head is even a possibility? Not even remotely so. I mean, I felt super prepared to try to talk about what this moment meant to the Bills players and organization and what they had done. And once we kind of went through all of that, you turn around and the game is getting underway and Naheem is on his way. And, uh, you know, I'm eyeballing it and I see him cross midfield. I still didn't think he was going to break it. I thought there was a Patriot player had an angle on him. But then I realized this is going all the way. And only one word, one phrase entered my mind. Storybook. In 10 seconds, he's covering 96 yards. Your mind is kind of in slow motion, weirdly, Ryan. And I'm glad that word just kind of dropped in my head. I mean, I again, I couldn't have planned for it. And it was storybook. And I think it'll be a moment that one day might even lead to a movie. It sounds like a movie script. We use that terminology, don't we, a lot in sports. Oh, the Hollywood wouldn't even, they would, they'd send this script back if, if you wrote it. But I could see this being, uh, and some other people suggested, our version of Brian's song for this generation. I think there's, uh, particularly if the Bills go on and win the Super Bowl, I think there's a movie here in its storybook. Yeah, look, I think the DeMar Hamlin story itself is inspiring. I think it makes people think about the possibilities. I think it brought people together. Um, you know, and I think we needed, I, I really think in this era, and I still think a lot of people are coming out of isolation, depression, battling with, uh, you know, mental health issues. I think we need good stories. I think we need positive, uplifting stories. And I think in the end, the DeMar Hamlin story is positive and it's uplifting. Arizona will play UCLA tomorrow in Tucson. Best two teams in the Pac-12? Maybe. Arizona's been on a bit of a slide. Don McLean talking on the Pac-12 network about this game. Punch it. It's a tough one. You know, it's almost you wonder with UCLA being undefeated if that's more pressure on them. I don't think it is because this is a veteran group. But if, if you're talking about wanting it more, UCLA is undefeated in conference. Arizona has three losses. I'm still, I'm sure they're still talking about winning the regular season championship if they're going to do that they have to win this game i give a slight edge to arizona in this one just because of the crowd the environment they need the game more than ucla but again you never count out this ucla they've been down tonight they were down and they came back and won the game by double figures look i think ucla is the better team i, I think arizona's really sputtered utah beat arizona oregon beat arizona Washington State beat Arizona. Arizona's been on a slide. I don't see this, other than the home court, as a game where anybody within reason could pick Arizona to win it. I just, I'm not even sure Arizona's the best team in the state of Arizona right now. Arizona State's playing better basketball. But Don McLean, I think he's selling, I think he's selling uh, the public on the idea that this could be a big game. That game is a uh, pick em right now. Yeah, I, I, I mean, look, there's one thing I did notice last night. UCLA is playing shorthanded. He's got, you know, Mick Cronin's got a bunch of young players on this roster that he doesn't play. So he's only playing about eight guys, 
So here's a here's a scenario where you could build a case for Arizona that I like better than the one that Don McLean built. Sometimes the travel partner that plays a team earlier in the week on the Thursday game helps the team on a Saturday. Arizona State took UCLA late in the game and tested them. They pressured them. Bobby Hurley had his players picking up, you know, UCLA's team full court for part of the game. There's a chance that UCLA comes into this game with some, you know, some weak legs and that Arizona is sky high for this for this one. But I'm not I don't think I don't think there's any way I could pick Arizona to beat UCLA. Not with the way you that Arizona's played lately. John Harbaugh. He says Lamar Jackson is his quarterback. No matter what, here he is, punch it. 100%, you know, 200%. There's no question about it. Uh, Lamar, Lamar Jackson is our quarterback. I mean, he's been our quarterback. Everything we've done in terms of building our offense and building our team, uh, how we think in terms of put people and put people around him, is based on this incredible young man and his talent, his ability, and his competitiveness. You know, he, he and I were talking today too, and, and, and the things about Lamar that to me stands out, he's an incredible competitor. I mean, Lamar Jackson, all he wants to do is win at everything he does, you know. Yeah, he's got a lot of talent, he's a very bright guy, he's got a big heart, but he's just a massive competitor. And that's the kind of guys we want to build this team around, guys that love football and guys that love to compete. So uh, that's not, hasn't changed, it'll never change. We, you know, we, we, I've, I've loved Lamar, Eric loves Lamar, and uh, it's not going to change in the future. So, you know, I don't know anything about the details of the whole thing, but I know one thing, I'm like all the fans out there and everybody else, you know, I'll have my fingers crossed and my toes crossed and I'll be saying prayers. And I'm, I have every faith that it's going to get done, and and, uh, and we've got the best people in the world doing it. I mean, Eric DaCosta is nobody better. And, and, and Eric wants him here, I want him here, Steve wants him here, and Lamar wants to be here. So uh, it's going to work out. Do you buy John Harbaugh talking about his quarterback in Baltimore? Is Lamar Jackson his guy, or is he just saying what a coach says because what's the point of saying otherwise at this point of the season? I do buy it because, I mean, you go and look at that wild card game. Tyler Huntley, I think he is what he is. Like, he's a solid backup quarterback. But if that's really the solution that you have going forward, what can you really expect to win? I think with Lamar Jackson, the ceiling is so high. Youngest MVP in the league. I think he's really, really good. And so for me, like, I don't really see what their choices are besides to bring him back. So for me, I do believe it. I think John Harbaugh really means that they're going to bring Lamar back. I just think sometimes you got you have to be diplomatic. And... Even if down deep he goes, look, I can't win a Super Bowl with this guy. It's the best that he's got right now, and I think you're right in that, you know, you, you bring him back, or at least you talk now about bringing him back until something else pops up. Um, but I do, I am a believer in Lamar Jackson. I think when he is healthy, he's dangerous. He's good. I don't know that he's in the right system. I don't know that he's ever going to get deep in the playoffs again, but there were a couple of years ago he was playing at a high level, he was a dangerous player. He gave people fits, and I, I think he can get back to that level. And Peter mentioned this on the Pulse. Like, it just depends. Like, you can franchise tag if you wanted to, right? Like, that's the thing, too. If they really do want him back and they can't come up with a long-term deal, you can franchise and tag him for another two years and hopefully at that point then figure out what you could do long-term. Like, the, the ball is really in the Ravens' court right now if they really do want to bring Lamar back, and I think it will say a lot if they try to get rid of him or they you know can't figure out a deal, they just give him the franchise tag. Blazers lost to the Philadelphia 76ers uh, yesterday, 105-95. to 95. Damian Lillard talked about it. 
Here's Dame. Punch it. It was a bad first half. Uh, you know, I think we, we allowed their physicality to, to disrupt us offensively. Um, you know, they just kind of they got into us. And, um, you know, our message in the, in the huddles was like, you know, we got to we got to play hard offense, you know. A lot of people think you just got to defend hard and fight over screens, but on offense, you got to fight for your position too. You got to, you know, sprint in the screens. You got to set screens. You got to roll hard. We got to space. We got to cut. Um, we got to be attacking. There's a lot of things you got to do offensively that um, gives you a chance to be successful. But when the team is playing that way, it's even more important, to, you know, to, to play with that type of um, focus. And I just think they came out and did that to us, and we just didn't respond to it well. And, you know, they jumped on top of us. And, you know, when we started to play how we needed to play, you see us, you see how the game turned. You know, we gave ourselves a chance. But anytime you're playing against a really good team with good players and you dig yourself that type of hole and they start believing, you know, even when you climb back into the game, it's like that takes so much out of you that getting over the hump is going to be even harder. I mean, I think he's saying in a number of different ways that the Blazers are not on the level of the 76ers. You know, we didn't respond well. We dug ourselves a hole. I mean, there's nothing about any of that that tells me that this was an aberration. Everybody knows, this, you know, the Sixers are sitting there damn near 30 wins. The Blazers are under 500 by three games. A um, lot of frustration in the fan base. Guys, can we talk about that for a second? Uh, that's punch it audio. But, guys, can we talk about that frustration just for a second? Like... I heard, I heard the conversation, or I felt like the tone of the conversation with Blazer fans turned last night in the wake of that loss to Philadelphia, or I guess that loss yesterday to Philadelphia. Um, I started hearing people say, well, what did you expect? Joe Cronin said at the beginning of the year they weren't going to be very good. But these were the same people who were telling us when the Blazers you know, got off to that hot start that you know, this team is not only fun, this team is good. Like, I think there's a little bit of waving of the white flag in the fan base. and and Or maybe people come to grips with it. What do you hear going on with fans? I think people are coming to grips with it. And, you know, the, some influential voices in uh, on Blazers Twitter have, uh, you know, been making sure to put out that that was the message from the beginning. And don't get me wrong. They're right. Joe Cronin did say that at the beginning of the year in the offseason that, look, this is an incomplete roster, but you can see it sort of just uh, bubbling up to the surface again, John. And I think it's it's a lot of copium, and I don't blame Blazer fan for wanting to cope. It's a long way from that 10-4 and four start where I said, this is real, baby. Defense, defense doesn't slump like shooting. It's real. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It's incomplete. It, we're a long way from early November. Yeah, it seems like it's changed from you know results to now it's the process is more important than the results and for me like yeah you can say that but that only goes so far like at some point i want to see a process and this team is like this isn't one of the younger teams in the nba but most of the role players that play are veteran players and chauncey billups has said this dame said in that clip like they need to play hard they need to play hard well you know what yeah you do need to play harder like that stuff bothers me it's the same old talk every single game after every game like oh we had a chance we gave ourselves a chance we played hard where we need to play hard. like it's just the same thing and like for me it does bother me because like i didn't even have high expectations coming into the season but then they win a few games and it's like okay like i if this is happening like let's let's buy in i didn't even buy in fully but I just want to see the, the simplest things, and that's play hard and execute. And we're still not even getting that with this veteran bunch. And so that's, you know, it just bothers me a lot. Do you think they're not playing hard or do you think they're not very good? I think it's a combination of both. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, the thing that I think it's human nature, I think we all, look, we all want to be entertained. We want our teams to be good. I want the 49ers to beat the Cowboys on Sunday. But if the 49ers come out and they get outclassed, I'm probably more inclined to look at what the 49ers did wrong versus what the Dallas Cowboys may have done right. So I think there's a there's a confirmation bias that happens. And I think in, a, in the course of an 82-game schedule, I think fans started off with low expectations. Correct me if I'm wrong. Team comes out of the gate 15 games into the season. Everybody goes, hey, this is better than I expected. They, they're actually good. And, and then over time now, that has eroded to the point where we're like, eh, they're actually not very good. They may have stole some games early or put it together, and other teams have sort of found more synergy and are playing harder. This is going to be a real haul. And then people go back to what Joe Cronin said in the preseason, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. You can't, you can't go back to what Joe Cronin said after you told us they were good, can you? And that's where I'm kind of at. Like, I didn't have high expectations. They won a few games. Like, talking to Peter, like, he didn't necessarily talk me into buying all in. But, like, I was buying-ish in. Like, it was it was because it was effort, man. Yeah. And then it just went away. It was effort. And now it's that's not showing up. I do think, you know, I want to give the Blazers the benefit of the doubt. The Western Conference is loaded. And we talked about the Lakers earlier. Like, the Lakers as a 13 seed, that's insane. Like, if the Blazers are in the Eastern Conference, it's different, but they're not. They're in the Western Conference where you have to play against these top-level teams. And if you're not going to give full effort, you're not going to win. Like, that's just the bottom line of it. I think um, I want this team. I still have the same goal for this team. And I don't care if it comes after the trade deadline. Maybe they make some moves. Maybe they, uh, they pivot fully to a total rebuild. I don't know. But I have the same goal for this franchise that I had at the beginning of the season. I, I, I'm not wavering from it. And I'm not going to lower the bar for them. I don't care if they make the playoffs or not. But I, I do care on a nightly basis that they're entertaining. And, I, and maybe it's because I grew up and I, I watched kind of an era of Warriors basketball when I was a kid where they scored a bunch of points and they lost. Like, you know, they would, they would lose 120 to 110. One, you know, but they were fun to watch. And it was entertaining and was upbeat. And, and I guess that's where I'm at right now with this franchise. Like, I don't expect them to win a playoff series. I don't even expect them to make the playoffs at this point. I'm looking at the West, and we talked about it earlier. If Anthony Davis comes back, that's one more team that they're going to have to get by and stay in front of in the West. And I don't see it. Peter, do you think it's a playoff team right now or – uh, you know, what odds would you put on them making the playoffs? Uh, I mean, I could see them reaching the playoff, but it's going to be through the play-in, and I would put it as a as a coin toss, where you know, if you would ask me uh, l- let's say in uh, early December, I'm like, I'm readjusting my expectations, which were a play-in team. I see this now as a six seed, you know, and I'm back down to, you know, nine, ten, Maybe they do something at the deadline, and you go seven, eight, and you just kind of roll the dice and see what happens. So I, I think that's where it is. It's a coin toss, John. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking at him going, I don't see it. Maybe they could get into the play-in game. But what I hope for fans is I hope this team shows up and plays hard because if they play hard and they're entertaining, one thing you can do as a fan is you can go, hey, I can see the future. I can see where this team's going to go and how good they might be. And if you can do that, you can get through a season because, conversely, if they're not very good, we just keep digging ourselves a hole, and the and they you know, and they're not playing hard, and our response wasn't good. That is dismal, and I I think that is really hard to watch. 
Leave it here. Some parting thoughts coming up on this great Friday, plus what's on tap. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up, the Pulse with Peter Sampson. Uh, Peter, what do you have on the Pulse today? Yeah, I want to talk about a team in the NBA with a bright future. That's the Oklahoma City Thunder, man. You talk about uh, uh, tanking briefly and doing it right. They're starting to really play well. And uh, mm. Portland, uh, you know how people do those uh, those city rankings? You know, Seattle is the most blank yeah. in America. Portland is the third most Something in America, and I want to kick that around. Are we the third tallest city in America by average height? Maybe, but that's not what I'm talking about. Biggest shoe size in America? This radio station is pretty tall of me and Peter. That's true. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? We could have a pretty good three-on-three team. Well, JC, you're what, 6'1"? 6'1". About 6'2"? I'll inbound the ball. I'll be the distributor. And you guys, uh, you guys run a little pick and roll, and we'll do it. Mm-hmm. How about that? I love it. Peter Sampson in the post coming up top of the hour. Uh, every Friday we give you what's on tap. And I first of all, I apologize for the background noise. For people who are just tuning in, I am literally in Arizona State University's basketball arena. There's a wrestling match just about to begin, and they're introducing the wrestlers. I've finally seen a wrestler, guys. Um, there you go. So, I uh, uh, that's coming down the pipeline. So, uh, let's do what's on tap for the weekend. Now, it's time for what's on tap and what's on TV at the Independent on the BFT. It's going to be NFL, 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 NFL out of me. The Jaguars are at the Chiefs tomorrow. That is a game that will take place at 1.30 on NBC. The Eagles and Giants will play tomorrow as well on Fox. That game will be at 5.15 on Fox. On Sunday at noon on CBS, Bills-Bengals. And at 3.30 on Fox, 49ers-Cowboys. Make sure you check your NFL games out. It's going to be a big NFL weekend. We'll have it all on Monday on this radio program. Uh, For those of you who want to find out what Portland is third best at in America, Peter Sampson's got it next on the Pulse. He's coming up. The bald-faced truth is not here for a long time, just a good time. Appreciate everybody who makes this radio show part of their day.